tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, the cost of living measures announced. We're also uh, continuing that conversation from yesterday. Should kids be forced to kiss and hug relatives? We'll be hearing from some of our listeners on that. We will go live to Mehel 21 in Thurlis and uh, Ali We'll be speaking to some of the people involved in that great project there. Legal Matters with uh, John Lynch and a Tipperary Teen launches a campaign to help others with mental health difficulties. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Dot com. Now, the latest cost of living package will be signed off by the Cabinet uh, today. Much of the detail has been published this morning, and uh, Paul Hosford is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner and joins me now. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Frank. Good to talk to you today. Can you give us just a summation of what we know, Paul? Yes, yeah, so I suppose that the, the broad uh, outline of, of the package we kind of already, or we kind of know, as Cabinet starts to meet. So what you're looking at today um, being signed off is, is a €100 Euro, uh, child benefit lump sum for every child who, who qualifies for a child benefit. Uh, well, the government has also agreed uh, that the back-to-school and clothing footwear allowance uh, will be increased by €100. Euro. And then anyone who is on um, a pe- uh, social welfare for pensioners, carers, people with disabilities and long parents will get a €200 Euro lump sum. They're all to be paid in in April and May. Then there's, uh, I suppose there was the question, the big question going in was whether or not the energy rebates would be continued, Dave, but that's yes. been ruled out. Uh, one of the, what, I suppose one of the, the points that was made to me yesterday about that was that, look, you're heading into the into the summer, in theory, people's, people's bills should come down anyway. Mm. Um, and if you hold fire on that, you might be able to, uh, do another energy credit on the other side of the summer. If and this was Eamon Ryan's contribution, really, wasn't it? He was very anxious about this. Yeah, I, I suppose one of the points that he made uh, pre-Christmas was that but at a certain point you're going to have to re-broaden the, the, the tax base and stop going to spend the money on... You know, they, I suppose they're also sensitive to the fact that this money, these energy credits, largely goes to companies that burn fossil fuels and... Mm. and I suppose how can you how can you justify that when you're on a uh, a green platform? Mm-hmm. I, I, one of the uh, I suppose the big win for for the Greens was the extension of the nine percent fat rate for hospitality. Mm-hmm. Catherine Martin had kind of fought for that. The, the Department of Finance is very uh, anxious that that go back up to the to the previous thirteen point five percent. So this the, this won't be a, a cliff edge. They talk the government has talked about cliff edges since mm-hmm. I suppose the start of COVID. You like. You remember with the with the pandemic unemployment payments and and other supports, they're always keen to say, look, there won't be a cliff edge. It won't it won't end suddenly. Um, <clears throat> so you're looking at a you're looking at an extension of the the nine percent fat rate until the end of August. Mm. The, the, but government sources last night very very clear on 
fact that this will be the last time that this will be extended it will cost about 280 million euro to do to do so so uh you're also looking at a, a um there was a, there was the sense that the reintroduction of the fuel excise in one go uh could i suppose disrupt fuel supply which mm. was the which was the the issue that people were kind of rushed to the to the pumps if they if they thought something was coming panic so, buying yeah yeah, so so now you're looking at a, a graduated return. So in June, the the, the twenty cent that's been cut off uh, a liter of pe- petrol or diesel has will go back up. Uh, that'll drop to fourteen cents uh, from June. So it'll be a six six cent increase from June, the seven cent increase from September, and then the, the last eight cent will be added uh, on Halloween. Uh, the or uh, that's for that's for petrol. Sorry, the diesel will be the same kind of in- mm. increments: five cent in June, six cent in in October, uh, six cent in September. So it, it, it's a it's a big. I, I suppose it, it's a big enough um, announcement, a big enough package, but nowhere near uh, some of the figures that were floated around. You know, you talked about upwards of of a billion or or over a billion. It, it's probably not going to be. Like that, uh, the, the the social welfare measures, uh, which include an expansion of the hot school meals program in, in primary schools, you're talking the guts of, of 400 million, uh, along with the the VAT rate um, and the excise. So you're you're probably just in on under a billion. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it, were there surprises for you? Because it seemed like um, the the talk that I was hearing anyway, Paul, was that we were going to see a return to the 13.5% for hospitality. But as you say, that's been uh, put forward to, to September. Uh, were you surprised at that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of was. I, I mean, the mood music around around that particularly for the last two weeks and even as late as yesterday lunchtime it was it was dead in the water we were going back to 13 and a half percent but i suppose one of the uh, one of the logics behind it is to allow for that transition period yeah. one of the arguments that one of the arguments about going back up with that look that the lower VAT rate wasn't really doing much to insulate consumers from high prices so right. this um, is the price gouging argument is it yeah, th- yeah. that's that's Kind of what you came back to. A lot of people felt that look, hotels or, or hospitality were still charging high prices, even though they were getting this kind of this lower VAT rate. And, and could you be seen to to keep supporting them? I see. I, I kind of see the arguments on both ways. But I was surprised that the government decided to to extend it out to till the end of August because that'll be such a. I suppose one of the things that you have to remember is that the hospitality industry still hasn't really gotten fully back on its feet from. Mm-hmm. COVID and then, you know, having the, uh, you know, uh, I suppose a lot of uh, a lot of hospitality accommodation turned over to, to hosting Ukrainian families. So you, you're still in a very difficult situation. This summer will probably be a big summer for a lot of businesses in, in terms of their future viability because they'll kind of be out from under COVID and whether or not they can actually make a, a full go of over year. Right. And and before I let you go, Paul, can I just, one of the critiques that we're hearing this morning is that this wasn't targeted enough as as a package. Um, can you see, can you see why that might be a valid criticism? Yeah, I think, I think from the government side they'll say, look, the, the, the 200 euro lump sum um, will be a spring bonus and it'll be targeted at, at pensioners and those on disability and carers and widows, widows and then but then on the other side, the, the 100 euro Top up for it will go to every child on the yes. child benefit scheme, um, so that's far more universal. I, I'm sure you could have made the argument that if you if you'd have done that for 
the, 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 I suppose the question going into the, the leaders' meeting last night was about whether or not that would be for every child or just for children with a, under the child, qualified child uh, payment. So uh, I, I can see the argument that you probably could have done more for, for people who, uh, who have less if you'd have targeted that one specifically. Um, I'm sure uh, we're, we're expecting a press conference to, to outline these changes sometime this afternoon, so I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that with the, with the relevant ministers, but I, I can see that argument definitely. Paul, really good to talk to you, and we appreciate your time this morning, Paul. Not Thank you. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Paul Hosford. There is a political correspondent with the Irish Examiner, eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Now, Councillor Richie Malloy is uh, manager at Family Carers Ireland in uh, Tipperary, and uh, he joins me now. Richie, good morning to you. Hey, good morning to your friend. And really good to talk to you today. Um, how do you feel just overall about what you're hearing so far, Richie? Yeah, well, I suppose we'll say from the family carers' point of view, we certainly welcome the fact that they've mentioned carers in yes. this particular uh, announcement or, you know, in, in, I suppose, the leaks that are coming out because, you know, in times past, you wouldn't hear the word family carer mentioned yeah. at all. It's in there with so, pensioners, lone parents, carers, yeah, disabled people. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was happy to see the word carer being yeah. mentioned. And I think it will be a big help because I suppose it's essential that carers get some relief because we, we'll call it the cost of heating and so on is huge for a family carer right. and even just listening to Paul there, you know, and you know the way he was outlining the various measures. And I suppose one thing that has to be stressed all the time from a family carer's point of view is that heating costs for a carer are generally the same the twelve months of the year, even when the weather mm. improves. Because, you know, with elderly people and that that wouldn't be going out or not very active, they, they have to have the heating on all the time. Of course, and, and I was really going to ask you about that because there's no additional €200 Euro electricity credit agreed and, and that will probably go to the autumn. No, absolutely. And you have to, you know, even though we're hoping the weather will start to get milder yeah. as we head on into March, but at the same time, the heating costs from a carer's point of view really remains the same throughout the year. And I know a number of carers have come on to us in recent days talking about the big increases there with VHI and if you have private medical insurance they, they, they've had substantial increases and that affects you certainly if you're on a carer's allowance that's easy against you and even say organisations it's even in the building we'll say our centre now is in the place for you building here in mm. Clanmel and I was talking to the manager of that building yesterday and there heating costs have really risen to the roof and it's very hard to increase the rents. So a lot of organisations and you know, daycare centres and so on are under a lot of pressure due to the fact of the constant rise in heating costs. Um, I'm just thinking uh, in general, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, private health insurance there in, in passing. Uh, that sometimes would be seen as a luxury, but are you seeing from your people that this is a, a necessity and are they giving up basics to afford that, Richie? Yeah, I've, I've found that in the last number of years that some carers are keeping, you know, they're paying for private uh, medical insurance because I suppose simply, you know, the, the art system just isn't working. I mean, the wait lists on the public side are continuing to grow year by year. You know, you're waiting two and three years sometimes for routine operations. You know, and it just isn't good enough, really. And I must mention again our young advocate there, Carol Darmody, mm. that you have on there weekly. You know, you'd often say 
the power of one, what, what can one person do? But I think the fact that Carrick was up to Dublin every week to Leinster House and meeting various politicians, it is kind of keeping that carer's agenda alive because sometimes it gets swept off and you only really hear about the budget time mm. and they're just kind of forgotten about and the next budget comes along. If, if some of these measures were more targeted, Richie, would it mean more... Uh, money's available for like carers or pensioners or lone parents or disabled it, people. It, it definitely would because our organisation is saying all the time, while well, well, you're welcome to one-off things like this coming out. But the biggest problem with the whole carers thing is the the way the carers allowance is paid in the first place. It's not based on the level of care that you're doing. It's really a means-tested Allowance, yes. and we're kind of saying all the time that unless a proper review, I think you're going to have some politicians in later on this mm, morning. Yeah, but and that's something we're calling for for as long as I'm in the the job over twenty years mm. for an abolish to abolish the means test because even you know when new carers come on, they're so shocked sometimes to feel that there's really their partner's income decides what level of payments. Yeah. they'll actually get not the, the amount of work that they might be doing at the home. You know, some carers really are 24 or 7, seven yeah. days a week, but that isn't really taken into the yeah, equation. The, the part of that, and you've told me about it several times, I can never get over, is the, the, the fuel allowance, you know, and the difficulty yeah. in, in getting that. I mean, absolutely. And that was such... We were so disappointed in the budget the last time round that they didn't make the carer's allowance one of the qualifying payments because that would be a very straightforward way mm. of showing that that the government of the day really do mean what they say when they want to keep people at home for longer. That You, you know, you must do practical support and certainly the whole area of care workers and home care packages is, is under constant pressure and nothing has been done about that yet, you know, it, it's getting harder and harder to hire care workers, you know, both for the HSE and agencies such as ourselves. And unless something is done about that, you can have all the packages you like, but if you haven't got the staff to deliver them, you know, that's going to be a big issue coming down the track. Of course. Uh, the small step forward, as you say, though, is that at least carers are in there and they're well, being mentioned in, in, in uh, the various publications today, you know. Well, many, many budgets in the past never were, never mentioned the word family carer. So yep. there's definitely, and it's really due to advocacy, I think, over the last number of years. You know, and in fairness to JPFM, you're going to kind of push the carer's agenda and I think it's important all the time to remember there's over 500,000 mm. family carers in Ireland now so it's quite a strong voice of people and they're getting more united I yes. suppose in the last couple of years. But the thing that struck me today when I saw that list of pensioners, carers, lone parents, disabled people sometimes families fall into all of that Richie. Well, well they do and I mean I suppose to say to carers this in this morning this package there will be, even we're saying 200 euros as a lump sum, mm. but, you know, a lot of carers would also be getting the back-to-school allowance mm, and yes. they would have children. So there would be increases there. You know, if you have 200 euros, you'll have the 100 euros if you're in receipt of the back-to-school allowance. That would be an extra... You'll also have the 100 euros lump sum if you're in receipt of the child benefit. So... I suppose it is a good example of that a family carer is affected by all those three things. Mm. And, and, you know, we definitely welcome 
welcome that. And I suppose there's still time for government to tweak it. There's been so much talk about this package for yes, the last couple of days yeah. that I, I presume that they test the waters and depending on the public's reaction, you can tweak the package. There's one thing that's in my mind a lot is the fact that petrol and diesel, you know, that's going to start to creep up again. Yeah, it's going to be phased back in, uh, those allowances, yeah, over the next while. But I suppose it's important to remember, though, that it has really jumped by at least 40 cents a litre in the last two years. Yeah, so I, I, I'm amazed uh, at the moment, Richie, and you must find this yourself, that we're, we're kind of delighted when we see now 165, 167. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> I, extremely I, I, expensive. Absolutely. Yeah. When you think back when, it's not so long ago, when it was roughly one, I think it was 122 was in my age well, yeah. per litre. Yeah. And that's only maybe a year or two. So no matter what, we'll say government will say, yes, lads, it's great. Now we've taken, it's gone down from two euros to 165, but it's gone up quite a jump. Of in course, the last two years, and that and that has the spin-off. Then, obviously, it affects absolutely everything: transport, food being delivered to the supermarkets, and so on and so on. Yeah, I was happy though to to see that Daryl O'Brien is putting on some pressure um, on the other energy company companies now to follow on from what Pinergy is doing, and you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, because it was very aggravating, I think, for people in general to see that the companies were making fast profits. Yeah. And we're still not passing any little bit onto the consumers. I mean, that's some area you would imagine government should tackle into to force those companies. All right, right, Richie. Always good to talk to you, Richie, and thanks for your time this morning. Thank thank you, you, Frank. Thank you very much. That's uh, Councillor Richie Malloy speaking to us uh, there. uh, Richie, of course, is um, the Tipperary Manager of Family Cares Ireland. 1800-938-007. A listener says... Um, the fuel allowance should be given to all old aged pensioners uh, somebody else saying Fran I'm a carer and losing my home that I rented for 12 years and I'm terrified for my special needs son and uh, isn't that just an unbelievable position for somebody uh, to be in um, Fran any help for the poor creatures who get up at 5 or 6 every morning to work at a job that they don't really like they're under pressure to pay to live and it's probably them that will have to pay back all of these government supports, as one of our listeners. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, listener says, I collected uh, two bags of coal for my elderly neighbour yesterday. 70 euro. That's a lot of money out of an old age to pension. An old age pensioner, says uh, one of our listeners uh, today as well. Uh, Patrick was on to say, I agree completely with uh, Richie. Look after our carers because we may not need uh, our nursing homes. Might not be available to us, says Patrick. Um, Fran, it's all BS, says Thomas. Nothing for anybody in uh, the middle class or working class. We have billions in surplus and no €200 Euro credit. We're facing a real cold spell which will reflect on bills over the next three weeks or so. And uh, the uh, rising cost of petrol and diesel is about to hit the roof, uh, says uh, Thomas to us on 083 311 Now today is Shrove Tuesday and that means that Lent kicks off tomorrow. I'm delighted to be joined now by Father Luke McNamara from Glenstall Abbey. Good morning to you, Father Luke. 
Good morning, Fran. Good to be with you again. And lovely to talk to you again. It is Pancake Tuesday to many of us, but it is more importantly, I suppose, Shrove Tuesday. What is the meaning of that, Father Luke? Well, um, it's a very old word, actually, Shrove. It, it's the, it comes from the, the verb to shrive, and shrive means to hear a confession. So Shrove is the person who's had their confession heard so it's the day in which traditionally in, in, in ancient times um, people would have their confession heard before the beginning of Lent. So it, that's where the name, that's the name which nobody really understands anymore, uh, Shrove, comes from. And we actually get it in Shakespeare. Um, so it, it hasn't really been used much in, in regular language for about 400 years. But a bit like some of the um, some uh, terms we use, like in, in terms of the Our Father, some of the Thy kingdom come, thy will. We use the older form yes. of the language. So also we have the older form of the language there in terms of Shrove. Um, but of course, most people remember Shrove Tuesday for the pancakes because it's the last great uh, feast before before Easter. So everybody uh, kind of packs in all the all the, the ingredients, they, the, the good ingredients that they want to use up. Yes, and, um, and is that, that a very old tradition as well, or is that something that we've embraced is. recently? But we're much more tame than most countries. We we only go for pancakes, but uh, on the continent they call it carnival, and they eat a huge amount of meat. It's carne, it means meat, and mm. they they really go to town and fa- fa- feasting, and we, and also have kind of balls and great parties right into the night and and it goes on for about a full week wow. before 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 Lent begins so they really do it in style in kind of the kind of Spanish uh, Italian and and that was exported to South America through the Spanish and Portuguese so that's really where the the kind of the carnival uh, takes place and it lasts for a full week and it's fairly famous in Rio people may have heard of Carnavale in Rio or in Venice where they, they dress up in these exotic costumes. With masks um, and, uh, and stuff. And with yeah. masks, yeah. exactly, yeah. yes, yes. And they have these masked balls and everything. So it's there's no hold, hold bar for, for, for this week in, 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 in the southern Europe and in, in South America. Right, so we're, we're rather modest with our, our pancake feast then, I suppose. Tomorrow then is Ash Wednesday, Father Luke. Why the ash? Would you just remind us of that? Well, and um, one of the the... In most interesting things is where does the ash come from? It's actually um, the, the palm branches from Palm Sunday of the previous year are gathered and they are burnt and used for, for to make the ash. So that's the first thing that it's, it's not just uh, from the latest fire you, you, you've had. It's, it's actually uh, there's a deliberate gathering up of the, the palms from the previous year. So there's a kind of a continuity in the in the liturgical year from from year to year, um, and there's a sense of 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 the of of death and, and then new life coming mm. at Easter, and that kind of cycle is is what we kind of have, which people kind of maybe forget about a little bit because they they've forgotten me where the ash comes from, but it actually comes from the palms of, of Palm Sunday, but the, of course the the text for that is from Genesis. Remember that you are dust, and unto dust you will return. That's the, that's what that's what the mm. what is said in in Genesis three nineteen, and that's where that that mention of the the ashes reminds us of of where we have come from, and I suppose how we come to be human beings is that we have the breath of God in us, and that that breath that breath is what gives us 
our life and our energy and and it, it makes us more aware of 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 where we have come from and where where we are going um so yeah it, it, the the ashes is, is is really a powerful reminder and a lot of people like to have uh the ashes put on their forehead yes um there's the, 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 they like the, the the mark being put on their on their forehead because we're marked for our baptism. Uh, we're marked when we get an anointing if we're sick. And then the, the only regular marking that people get, apart from blessing themselves um, every day or blessing themselves if, when they go to churches or that, is um, the Ash Wednesday, where they're marked by somebody else is, is on Ash Wednesday. So a lot of people like to get uh, the mark. They're kind of signed at the beginning of Lent to, for this period of training so I, I like it too. That, you know, there's a big craze at the moment for gyms and mm. for fitness, mm. and it's a kind of a season for Christians to, to to go into training. So, for most of the year, you know, we we, we take things fairly easy. But um, Saint Benedict says, well, if you can't manage it for the rest of the year, at least make an effort in in Lent. And so, um, it's kind of a, a Christian gym, a gym yes. time or a, a training time. And what should we keep in mind? Because you speak about awareness, but I, I sometimes think that Lent, like a lot of things, has been secularized in some way that we use it to give up drink or, or not have sugar in our coffee or, what, or whatever. But what else is there that we should be conscious about where Lent is concerned? Well, I suppose it's 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 a training to to live as as a better person. I think anybody would would aspire to that. And uh, you know the the practices, the traditional practices for Lent are giving to the poor and giving prayer and and fasting. And those three are are behind those three practices are a desire to improve one's relationship and. Um, you know, one's relationship with oneself is improved by fasting. That you're, you know, you're not being mm. gluttonous. You're respecting yourself. You're respecting, and um, you're respecting your own body. And then your relationship with others. You know that you're giving to to those who are in need. So you're kind of mending. You know, we we all make mistakes with with other people, and sometimes we can't fix those mistakes because the opportunity has passed us by. But in a sense, we're given the opportunity during Lent to make a general kind of act to restore relationship with others by giving to those in need. And then the third is, the third practice mm. is prayer. And by prayer, we, we restore our relationship uh, with God. And we don't always get it right with God either. So the traditional Lenten practices are about uh, kind of repairing um, and restoring our relationships that we may have broken with, 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 with the world, uh, with others, um, with ourselves and with God. And perhaps the one we've become more aware of of late, of course, is the relationship with the world. Because, you know, it's, it's really interesting in our school here in Glenstall, the, the students have, have decided for, you know, that instead of maybe giving up sweets, some of them have actually decided, well, let's do something for the environment. So they're going to, they're organising litter pickups. So that's like a, a really good initiative. But it's, there's something good, be, there's a good kind of dynamic behind it because they're thinking about restoring relationship with the, with the broken world, the world that we've broken through our misuse. So um, it's very much the, in kind of the spirit of yes. the Laudato Si, that encyclical of the Pope about the care of our common home and, and, and the, the care of all the people who live in it. So, um, of course, and that, that in itself is very Christian, isn't it, uh, to think about things holistically like that. Um, it, we think of it as 40 days, Father Luke, but it's not actually 40 days, is it? Yeah, it's 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 very curious actually because um, 
in, well, thanks be to goodness, <laughs> originally um, the monks actually began Lent on the 17th of January, would you believe, which is, wow. which is the Feast of St. Anthony. And the reason was um, the monks lived in kind of out-of-the-way places and it wasn't easy to know when the date of Easter was. So to be sure that they wouldn't uh, miss any days of fasting when Easter would come uh, early, they began the fast um, on the 17th of January. But mercifully now we have, you know, good calendars and good timekeeping and so on. But um, that was back in the 4th century. That was the first Lent. Um, kind of, they, they, it was really, really long. But as, as, as calendars became more precise, uh, then there was, there was a lo- longer Lent um, slightly longer Lent that began with Ash Wednesday in, in our neck of the woods. And then in in southern Europe, they began just a few days later on the Sunday. They would begin on the Sunday, Lent on the Sunday. And the, their idea was that the, the Sunday is the Lord's Day, that a period of, of preparation for Easter should start on a Sunday, whereas we were more concerned to have the 40 days, and therefore we, we pulled back to the Wednesday. So for some and it's still the case in northern Italy, in Milan, they only start Lent on Sunday. They don't start it on Ash Wednesday. And the, 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 they, they've kept that tradition. So, But the 40 days, the reason for the 40 days is really because of the 40 years that the people were in the desert and the 40 days um, that the flood lasted when, mm-hmm. when the flood covered the earth. And then it was only after 40 days that the flood receded and Noah could, and the people could come out of the ark are the 40 days of Elijah in the desert, and then, of course, the 40 days of Jesus in the desert. Yes. So, in a sense, we're we're, we're t- kind of repeating the, the time of Jesus in the desert, because Jesus also went and fasted and gave alms and prayed during 40 days. So, he's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. Yes, indeed. Except, you, I, except we don't just go into the desert. <laughs> absolutely. Are you sort of amused in some way when you hear nowadays, as if it were new, this notion of fasting is now being put forward by people who are into sort of good living and all of that and saying that it's great for our bodies and, you know, for rejuvenating ourselves and all of that? Yeah, it's quite striking, actually, that many of the things, many of the trends, like even the the, the fitness craze mm. and the and 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 it's it's all good that people are paying better attention to their health mm. and so on, but um, many of the practices, meditation, prayer, and 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 mindfulness that are being propagated today, um, many of them actually have their have have as much Christian origins as they do have origins in the East or anywhere else. And mm. um, they're they're very old practices, and we're we're very fortunate that. You know, Ireland is riddled with um, with remains of of abbeys and churches mm. from from very early on. But we also have the writings of those people um, from very early on, and it's it's it, there's a great sense of kind of normality about them. You know, they they have um, during Lent they 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 go and uh, they take extra cold baths and so on. But they write little funny comments in the margins of their of their prayer books. Um, about so they, they really the Irish humour hasn't changed much over the last thousand years, and it's lovely to see how they you know they, they can make a comment about Brother X and or so. It's mostly it's very human, isn't we, it? We, yeah, we yeah. wrote things down. Most people didn't write things, but but the monks were always writing. So yes. 
they, they have to, and and I can tell you this: the the community life hasn't changed much over the last thousand years. Hasn't <laughs> though? Because I was, I was going to ask you about that. How yourself and your your fellow priests? How how will you celebrate Lent if that's the proper way to to, to say it? How how will you get? Yeah, yeah. That? Well, well, we we have um, we have a set we have set chance. We stop singing Alleluia from from this evening, so we won't sing any more Alleluia for the for the whole of Lent. So the chant becomes a little bit simpler mm. and uh, we but we we um, do uh, all get an extra we get an extra time for reading so we, we get a book at the beginning of Lent and we, we just read that book for Lent just and meditate on it for, mm. for, the, for the 40 days and it's usually so one of our brothers has just written a book um, on Columba Marmion becoming human becoming divine and it's about how we're we're being transformed and becoming more like Christ. So that's kind of the one I'm going to take for for Lent. It's this very year. mystical, isn't it? It it is, yes. Mm. But it's 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 really um, it's kind of very uh, it's 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 based on the writings of Columba Marmion, whose hundredth anniversary of his death we're celebrating this year. Mm. So that was why he wrote the book. But it's actually it, it brings Columba Marmion because what he wrote a hundred years ago is kind of hard to access. But he's made it quite simple. He's condensed it, and it's in a short book published by by um, by Veritas. So it's actually quite it's quite accessible and very short chapters. So that's that's kind of the book that we generally take. It's not something too too much because we've already you know you're already mm. doing enough in the day and the day is busy. But something short and 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 just with a short kind of two pages every day for Lent. Um, that's kind of a, a good focus just to. Not to try too much, something that's manageable. Um, but the the actual uh, Lent term Lent is it's actually the old German word for spring, mm. and that the, you know the notion of new life, and it's it's not something you know. It's we think of of Lent as kind of kind of dreary and so on, but it happens during spring, and it was chosen because it's a kind of a new springtime, and we're preparing for the new life that comes at Easter and. Of course, there is a kind of a time when you're waiting for a new life, when you're waiting for a new baby, where nothing's happening except that maybe a mum is getting, you know, feeling more weight in her body and kind of slowing down. And mm. and, and and then, but then, of course, the moment of birth comes and there's there's great joy. And there's also kind of um, a physical transformation for, for the mum. And in R, you could have, even for those of us who are maybe working and planting, you know, you see nothing for a long time and then something grows and then it begins to bloom. So in a sense, Lent is that kind of patient time where we don't see very much happening. But if we're if we make ourselves open to the action of the Lord, then we can be surprised by what will come at Easter. I, that's, that's what I think. Well, that's, it sounds very joyful and very hopeful indeed. Will you tell me a little bit about uh, your talks? Because they're they're kicking off, I think, this coming Sunday, are they? They are yes. We yeah. we have talks, um, and we're taking the the kind of the gym theme this year, mm. uh, training for living well. And um, so that we have a series of of talks every Sunday at four thirty at the Abbey, and the purpose really is to kind of help people um, uh, orientate themselves for Lent. Now the talks are here at the Abbey um, at four thirty in the monastery library, but they are also live streamed. And they're also available as recordings, so people can listen back to them or watch them later. 
So a lot of people uh, that I know actually listen to them um, afterwards as, as when they come up on the on the on the podcast yes. afterwards, and they listen to them going to work in the morning. And you know, there's quite a number of people in in, in Tipperary who are journeying between between uh, the towns, and they often, you know, it's, it, they normally last about 35, 40 minutes. So it's it's actually a good way to 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 catch them. It, it, so it is indeed. Your your own one on the twelfth of March uh, is under the heading of "Draw Water from the Well of Salvation." I'm interested in that, Father Luke, because there seems to be. I mean, even what we were talking about earlier on this morning, there seems to be a hopelessness out there now. You know, uh, more so than I've ever experienced from what we get in here to the program and people's commentary and all of that. Do you do you find that? Certainly, um, yes. There's there's a, a huge amount of of angst because I mean it's it's not it it's really with war on the other side of the continent mm. and the images that we're seeing and then the effects of war which is everybody is made poorer wherever they're living yeah. and and that's that's an inevitable effect of war because there's so much destruction and harm and um, and it also leads to children being more on edge and you know they 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 see things on the on the internet and so on about the war which which disturbs them and that puts added pressures on families so apart from all the financial pressures and stresses that so the so i think though the the lady that that is in this story um that i'll be talking about on march the 12th she's the samaritan woman and you know she's mm. she's somebody that's gone through an awful lot of hardship in her life um she's a rejected uh, from a, a a group of people that have been rejected by the broader jewish people uh, she's uh, herself is despised even within her own people, and um, so she's uh, very much uh, a figure of hope because she is the one that actually Jesus meets and 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 sort of rescues uh, in her plight mm. and raises her up, and she becomes in fact the the symbol of salvation for her people. She is she is the one that leads her people to Jesus. So. Um, there's a great uh, message of hope there that the, 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 the rejected, that the downtrodden actually become the, the, the person that, the, that, that actually leads us to, to salvation. But the, the, actual, um, the actual joy of the season, it's, not, it's, it's a joyful season, Lent, but it's mm-hmm. also one of justice. And the theme of, of Lent is always one of justice, justice for and Pope Francis is t- talking about justice for, for the for, in terms of ecological justice, but mm. that 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 the green earth um, must come in a fair way, and that people mustn't be penalised yes. in the process so of going social, green. social justice as well. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And the so the the key practice of Lent of of of, of alms giving giving to the poor is very much is very much in tune with that, and um, it's something. You know, there is a one comment, and I think this is important to say. It's, it's a lot of good causes are, are mentioned on 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 the on the local radio, and that's really important. And I think it's 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 a very important balance because a lot of the social media uh, causes uh, get a lot of traction, and they get people to donate. But a lot of the local causes um, don't get as much traction, maybe on social media. And we, they're the people that we really need to remember this Lent, like the Vincent de Paul and so on, in in our in of our course. various towns, because because they kind of the the, the the bright you know the people, I know people that have been going around collecting, and 
you know, they went to families and they said, oh, we gave to so-and-so on the internet, you know, and, uh, but, you know, and they were kind of, and they said, we don't have anything for you this month. But I think we need to remember um, very much because um, the almsgiving, and this is an interesting uh, emphasis of the gospel, and the almsgiving should start at home and start within our own communities um, and, and, and then afterwards beyond. But, but you mustn't neglect the Lazarus that is at your door. Indeed, um, and th- that's a topic that is very topical uh, at the moment, that's for sure. Father Luke, it's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We wish you well. It's been great to chat to you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank uh, We look forward to having people for the Lenten Talks, either in person or online. Thanks, Father Luke, and good morning to you. That's Father Luke McNamara there of lovely Glenstall Abbey speaking to us this morning. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie and you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Can I just bring something to your attention? Because anytime we touch on the subject, I know a lot of you are very engaged with the whole notion of our neutrality. And it's certainly, it's, it's a great concern to me too, I must admit, uh, personally. But uh, it's, it's a story going doing the rounds today that the government is set to consider an expansion of Ireland's participation in a joint uh, European Union military training mission for Ukraine. Now, my understanding is that the Cabinet will tomorrow consider a proposal to approve the deployment of up to 30 army personnel to the EU's military assistance uh, mission in support of Ukraine. And Irish participation in this mission, you might remember on this programme, we spoke about this um, some stage or other of last year. But I'm just wondering, what do you think about that? And do you think it, you know, do you think our neutrality is back in question again? I'd love to know how you how you feel about that because it certainly concerns me greatly. And really what concerns me is that, is there enough debate on this? I mean, was there any debate in the Doyle? Uh, about this and was an opposing uh, opinion heard on that uh, 083 311 Now as I said to Father Luke it's pancake day today so get out your frying pan and we'd love to hear how you like your pancakes because the possibilities seem to be endless well our own Ellie went around the building this morning to ask our staff here how they like their pancakes. I love soft, fluffy pancakes. Do you know when they're thin, but they're still soft and there's like a good texture. And I love them with Nutella or some berries, strawberries, blueberries or raspberries, anything with fruit. But what I also love as well is a bit of ice cream or cream on the side. You can't beat it. You can't. Love it, Ali. Or else I can get maybe bacon and some maple syrup as well. I don't know what I'll be having now today, but... We'll see. We'll see what comes up later. How do I like my pancakes? I actually like making them into crepes. Mmm. Oh. You know how you do that? Yeah. Ice cream. Any ice cream at all. I don't mind. I'd like chocolate ice cream. Yeah. So, like, I like to turn them into crepes. But traditionally, pancakes, I do like... Oh, yeah, yeah, maple syrup. But you can't have sugar and maple syrup. Like, it's too, too sweet, isn't it? Why well, not? You can't. Like, you can't. You'd die. <laughs> I have to go the old-fashioned route and say sugar and lemon. Sometimes I might, like, venture out and push out the boat and have some maple syrup or something like that, but no, we'll go back for sugar and lemon. Loads of sugar and loads of lemon, and then I might have a bit of Nutella. So, yeah, and plenty, plenty of pancakes and golden syrup. Oh, I'll go all out. 
Yeah. I'm a traditionalist. Just a pancake with some uh, lemon juice and a little sprinkling of sugar. Keep it simple. Well, I'm training for Ireland's Strongest Woman at the moment, so I can't have anything too outrageous, so I'll have to go with protein pancakes this year. Would you have anything on them? Oh, I might have a bit of, like, stevia sweetener. <laughs> Maybe lemon, actually, as well. Plentiful and with honey. That's it. You're your real purist. Absolutely. Nice. Old style. I like plenty of pancakes, load of sugar, load of lemon and then lemon on the plate so I can dip the pancake into it. Oh, dip the pancake into it. That's our own there. All right, that's the views of Tip FM staff. What about your uh, pancake today? How will you have it? I'm a bit of a traditionalist myself. The sugar and uh, the, the little bit of lemon would do me fine, but uh, there you go. I'm supposed to be on a diet, so I, I better avoid them. Funny enough, a lot of our listeners, uh, well, what did I say? Quite, quite a few on to us today to make the point just like Trisha is making here that there seems to be no relief for people who are working and paying so much of their wages on tax as well that seems to be emerging this morning from our conversation on what the cabinet will sign off on a little later on uh, by way of uh, measures to to help with the cost of living and uh, again we'd love to know what you think about that. Mike was on to us he says thanks for the bit of reflection on Lent Fran and no harm at all but coincidentally uh, last Sunday morning between 7 and 8 instead of looking and listening to uh, the repeat farming programmes on other local radio stations I stayed tuned to uh, Tip FM to Sunday Life and my god there's only so much biodiversity and global warming we can take Amazing. My neighbour did the same. It really gets to you. And uh, the Saturday morning programme on Radio 1, the very same theme, and the EPA report uh, was a part of that. And that's uh, from Mike, who was kind of, well, it appears from his text anyway, he's a little bit sick of uh, the biodiversity conversation and global warning, wa- warning, global warming and all of that. So how do you feel about that? 1800 938 Now listen around to say uh, my son gave up his full-time job to be his grandfather's carer, which is a full-time carer. He gets €223. Euro. And it goes on to give us some detail then about uh, how difficult it is for him to get by. And uh, this list goes on and says it's horrendous just how much the government is saving from carers and then they belittle them with so little pay. My son loves his granddad and I'm so proud of him as he's only 28 years of age and he has been a carer for the last four years. I'd love for the government to step into his shoes for one week and to survive on his income. My son also pays tax on his part-time work in a retail shop. Carers should be able to get the dole and the carers and make a wage as a normal person working would uh, if they were in a full-time job. Uh, 24 hours, uh, seven days a week. It's very hard mentally and physically. And I just need to put that out there, Fran. This is one of our listeners on 083 311 Mick is in Clanmel and he says the Ark must have been some vehicle to accommodate all of its residents. Harland and Wolf couldn't build it with all of their expertise. First ocean-going superliner, says Mick, with a tongue firmly in cheek there as well. Fran Diesel was 117 last February. It's just a joke that we're allowing this uh, to happen. Yeah, because we're accepting now that 165, 167 is okay. So it's a little bit of conditioning, I suppose. And finally for now, somebody saying that a private health insurance is not a luxury, as anybody knows, uh, that is a public health patient. You get crap treatment.
News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. You're welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800 Now I'm joined in the studio by Phil Gale, Senator Garrett Ahern. Good morning, you, Garrett. Good morning, Fran. Thanks very much for having me. How are you? Good to see you. I haven't seen you for an age. We've spoken yeah, we've the been spoke, uh, we've been speaking over the phone for the last yeah, while, but we haven't actually seen, seen each other in person for a while. A couple of things to talk to you about. Let's kick off with uh, yesterday. I suppose you were at the uh, Kick and Barracks um, uh, Plaza. Um, what, what did you make of that yesterday? Yeah, well, look, it's it's uh, it's incredibly welcomed. It was great to have Minister Dara O'Brien to do the official opening and just to thank the council staff and everyone involved in it because we got a lovely day weather-wise and it was a great event and... I think I was saying to you just before we came on, I've been talking about this uh, since I've been coming in here, Mm. dear Fran, and to finally get to a stage where we have an official opening and we now have a plaza that can be used by everyone in the town and the surrounding area is really welcomed. And the really good thing is because the minister came down to officially open it, we got the opportunity to explain to him about the expansions that we want to do, Mm. the next round of URDF funding. Uh, We got to speak to him about what Simon Harris is doing in terms of bringing uh, Tucson and the ETB in and the funding that he's giving from his department. So, like, look, we have great plans, big plans for, for, for Kick and Barracks. And it's about maintaining that um, that optimism and maintaining that funding coming from government to make sure it becomes a reality. So, when, Whenever we speak about Kick and Barracks, though, inevitably we'll get around to the relocation of the Garda station. And I'm not sure if you heard, but um, Tom Finland, former GRA rep for the Garda, uh, spoke to me the other morning. And again, he was rather scathing about the conditions that they're in and the stupidity, I suppose, to some degree, that it's linked with that McCroom project as opposed to be standalone. Does that frustrate you? Yeah, well, look, I'm... I'm as frustrated as they are, um, I think it's unacceptable. Um, and I've had numerous ministers come come down here. We are we are. It's the most frustrating part is Clamell is ready to go. It can it can start tomorrow if we wanted to. The problem with it is it's in it's in a joint uh, project venture with McCroom Garda Station and the Children's Courts in Dublin. McCroom and Clamell are ready to go, uh, but the Children's uh, Courts isn't, and it's been delayed consistently over the last number of years which has meant Clamell Garda Station uh, hasn't moved forward. And it's incredibly... Most people don't understand that, though. Why the link there? Why can't it just be decoupled as a standalone project? Yeah, so I've I've asked a couple of times why this can't can't be um, taken out and done separately. And they said under EU state rules, it actually can't be done separately. Um, But, like, I just don't accept it. Like, we we need a new Garda Station in Clamell. The one we have is just not fit for purpose. Any Garda you talk to here in Clamell... The biggest gripe they'd have about it, they love what they do and they love the people they serve, but the conditions when they it's, come into work dreadful. just are not acceptable. Dreadful, yeah. So I was saying to the to the Taoiseach when he made changes in 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 um in the new ministries and he he appointed Minister Pascal Donna, who was Minister for Public Expenditure, but with a new role in terms of reviewing the National Development Plan in terms of delivering on projects, things like the kick and barracks, things like road projects, just projects around the country where we've given funding as a government but the project hasn't moved. So we actually need a minister to make sure these projects move and get going, mm. rather than just announcing funding to actually get something going. And I said to Tonish, I said, look, Clamell Garda Station is a prime example of where we've announced something that's going to happen. We as a government understand that it needs to be done. The Gardaí need a good, uh, a, um, a good building and, and the town and the region and the area needs, needs a proper Garda Station. 
but it's just not moving. Um, so I'm hoping to meet Minister Pascal, Pascal Donoghue in terms of how he can see this project moving forward because mm. the people in McCroom have the exact same frustration. Yeah, They're but, in the exact same But again, problem it's just, just very hard to understand and, and yeah, particularly and frustrating when you hear that it's, it's some form of EU directive. Yeah, look, like it's inc- like I, I find it incredibly frustrating because it's a government that I'm part of which is which is lagging behind in this. But But that being said, and what's more frustrating is that we're actually now seeing real progress in kick and barriers mm. and it'd be so infuriating that if we're actually developing a new plaza we're putting in a new college there we're doing everything but the Garda station isn't moving we need to see that moving and changes have to happen and you know if we're going to if we're going to have a minister who's got a role in terms of delivering projects well in my view and I've said it uh, to the uh, to the Taoiseach in my view this is a perfect example of where something has been lagged behind because of EU directives or because of reasons we can't do it yes. rather than just saying we have the funding that, we that, agree to do that it let's ordinary, just do ordinary it ordinary people and the Gardaí in themselves can't understand yeah, because, this because, because, like, it, it, are you saying to me the money is there but the money, the money but the money's there. not an issue at all right, right. The, the money's not an issue at all and, and nothing in terms of Clamel or anything the Garda station in Clamel are doing or the Gardaí is blocking it in any way whatsoever it's the children's court in Dublin which is slowing things up and because it's in with a collection uh, of three projects that's why it can't start but right. I, I just I'd like you know I think there's a there's a greater good here in terms of you know what we need to do and I, you know I'll be keep pushing for that as much as I can I've been on the record numerous times trying to get it moving right so. but you accept yourself that it's just that good oh enough, absolutely right um something else that frustrates the hell out of people and I I'm always trying to get my head around where we are with it the n24 um Was there a bit of difficulty lately where this is concerned in terms of the national development plan? Yeah, so I suppose every every start of the year there's there's um, road projects that are being announced by by the minister for transport, Eamon Ryan, in terms of what he's prioritising in terms of maintenance of roads, primary roads, the building of new roads, greenways. We've really good money actually that he's announced in terms of doing up uh, building the greenway, which is going to connect with Waterford to go from Waterford to Kilmeadon to Carrick and Shore. Carrick and Shore to Clamell is already there. Then it'll go Clamell to Marlefield to Care and then up to Cashel. Mm. So you'll be able to go from Cashel to Garvin. That's a really, really positive one. Uh, but what we have, and you'll know because I've been on, uh, on your show talking to you a couple of times about it, we have a challenge in continuing the progress of some of the main main roads that um, that we want to prioritise. And one of them in the country, one of the main ones in the country is the N24, which links Limerick to Waterford. So essentially our fear, for, for, from my perspective and some of my colleagues, is that we'll end up like what Wales did, which is cancel every road project um, because we want to prioritise public transport, we want to prioritise walkways and greenways. Which is the green agenda. Which is, yeah, and, and that's fine. And look, we'll benefit on the back of that. And we've we've committed as a, as a programme for government to put funding into, into public transport, into railways, um, into greenways. Mm. And I think Tipperary will benefit hugely right. on that. But so, the road. So, but the road is a key infrastructure that will connect two, to, uh, two cities um, in the south of Ireland uh, and in my view it's a really important road project so we have to kind of keep highlighting it and keep keep making sure that it that it uh, stays on National Development Plan and what we had last week was an announcement by Eamon Ryan where he's funding 3 million euros to keep that project going up until planning stage and and then hopefully gets planned right. and, and approved. And again, because I know that people are, are confused by this and God knows I'm confused myself by it at times the, the care 
to Limerick Junction yeah. uh, so it's the, aspect of this. That is going ahead, but but when? Because we're only into phase one at this stage. And, yeah, so it's, so it's done in two sections. So you've got the Limerick Junction to Care route, which is slightly ahead of the Care to Waterford route. Mm. So the design, um, the new road that has been chosen um, uh, is, is, is the consultation now with the farmers on those roads is going ahead. The care to Waterford section is a bit further behind. They've got five five routes and kind of sub, some sub routes, and a des- and a chosen route for that is going to be decided later in the year. So there's two million put into that section of the road uh, to keep it going to the planning stage, and there's one million put into the right. care limit. But when you say put into it, what are we talking about? Are we talking about research and development? Yeah, so it's, so it's so it's it's essentially having having a company and, and and contractors working to make sure that the design is is properly done, the consultation with farmers is properly done. Um, and then that we go to planning stage and get a true planning right. and on board. But we're talking about years then. Well, not years that part. Not that part. So, so there's there's an outline of, of where we get to. So we should be true planning by 20, the end of 24, 25, um, on the, uh, 25 in the first section. And then the, the care to Watford section is about nine months behind roughly. Um, so look, this gets us up to planning, which mm. is really important. Uh, what's the next hurdle after that is actually funding to construct the road. And we have positive soundings from Eamon Ryan that he's very favourable towards constructing the road from Limerick Junction to Care. Now, he might be talking about a bypass. Hopefully, what he means by a bypass is the full full road from Limerick Junction to Care. Um, And then, because the other section is is a bit Mm. further behind, we're talking after 2025... Right. We're talking a new government but at the, that stage, the, and whatever government's y- there will have priorities of their own. Sure, but the and maybe, thing maybe a different ideology as well. Um, where where the Limerick Junction to Care is concerned, there's still a lot of difficulty there for, for people who own land in that area because they can't sell and they can't buy and they can't build. Yeah, so it's one of so it's one of the challenges, and and that's why there's there's um, there's. Uh, conversations going on between Arab and between the county council and landowners because you've you've. A number of of, of um, concerns between landowners uh, uh, where roads been picked. So it's, rem- it's important to remember to start the, what's called a buffer zone, which is basically where the route is going to be, where they think it's going to be. It used to be seven kilometres wide at the very start of this process. It's now one hundred and ten metres wide. So the people who were affected by the new road being built has dramatically reduced. That being said, the people who are actually on it are very much impacted yeah. on it, so, and we need to remember their concerns because, like, like I come from a family farm. If a road was going through our family farm it obviously has a huge impact on how we run our farm it also has an impact on people who want to build one-off houses whether it's for their son or daughter if they're within that buffer zone it mightn't be possible but those are all conversations that they can have with the design team uh, uh, going forward it is a challenge but that being said you know, All we're right. trying to build a really good connecting road for the southeast region. In 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 the last hour, we spoke about the cost of living measures that probably just as we speak being uh, signed off by by the cabinet. And you know, a lot of people onto us this morning about various different things. Some people making the point that not targeted enough that sometimes the people who benefit from this might need it and I'm thinking about the child welfare allowance I suppose in there. Yeah so I suppose what we've tried to do is is do both so do some universal measures, some targeted measures. It's important to remember that, that what's been announced today was, deci- was decided upon last October. So when we had the budget last October, it was an 11 billion budget um, to support people during the winter months uh, on the understanding that this was going to be a very difficult period of uncertainty, 
rising energy costs, a challenge of cost of living. But we were going to keep money aside to see where we would be in February and who needed that targeting going forward. So we didn't want to put all our eggs in one basket at the start. We wanted to wait and see after winter to see who needed it most afterwards. Now that we're there, we can still see the challenges in the hospitality sector, which is why it looks like we're going to maintain the, the hospitality rate of 9% up until the 1st of September. And that's mm. important because I was talking to a couple of businesses in Neen on Pierce Street yesterday. I was with Minister Hildegard Nocton. And they were saying that, look, it's our first real summer since COVID, really, where we're going to have some sort of normality. We're not fully sure are tourists going to come back? We're not fully sure. Are they going to spend? We don't know fully if there's confidence in the market. We could do with that certainty of just a 9% to get us through the summer period. Mm. Were you so, surprised though? Because I mean, a lot of people had written this off and said, you know, we're going yeah, to go well, back to Yeah, well, I, I, I speak to businesses quite a lot because I'm, I'm spokesperson in Enterprise and Trade in the Shannon uh, for Fine Gael. So I knew the concerns they had. It's a costly measure because it's almost a half a billion euros to, 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 to fund this. So it's not cheap. Um, but it's there to support, in particular, businesses mm. in rural areas uh, like in Tipperary rural towns. You know, you're talking about the coffee shops, the restaurants, course, yeah. the hairdressers. But we heard from John Nallen and he outlined very clearly, I mean, the, the, the challenges that they're facing yeah, at, yeah, the, yeah. at the and moment, you know. Yeah, energy Family-run hotels exactly. and, and uh, the like as well. Um, uh, so much more to talk about, but can I, would you give me your reflection on, again, what I'm I'm seeing here in front of me on the screens is that a lot of people are saying, we're the people who get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, we go out work, we work 12 hours often, and uh, we're the people who are paying the heavy taxes and where what do you say to people like that yeah so i so what i would say is who, who are not benefiting what from, i would say is is the government uh, with the budget and today are trying to do both in terms of protecting people um who almost everyone in the country is struggling that's just a fact uh, but it's about protecting the people who are struggling the most as well but for people who are working this is part of a budget that was decided upon last october so this isn't just a new budget that was decided upon last week because we thought things were going tough it was part of a package of a full budget so what i'd say to people who are working we brought in measures in october in terms of increasing the threshold from when you go from the lower rate of income tax to the higher rate of income tax we've made a promise to increase that again in the next budget if we're in a position to do it. Um, we've dramatically reduced childcare costs for people with children. Um, we've brought in back to school allowance uh, uh, payments. Um, we've made changes in, in USC. Um, so we've done an awful lot. We're in a very strong position because we've got so many people working. Um, you know, there's a lot of countries that wouldn't be able to do, to, to do this, wouldn't be able to bring in these measures, but it's because we've got a very strong economy at the moment, because we've got and good, we, we good have tax a lot break. Of, a lot of people working, but some people are working for very small uh, amounts of money. Yeah, and for and, instance, and actually, nothing was done about the, the interest rates and, and they're gone through the roof, you know, for people with mortgages out there. Yeah, but I suppose for people who are working, um, but working on low incomes, we did make a very significant change in the working family payment where we increase the threshold that people can claim because of that and to recognise it. And then people who are on lower incomes can qualify for an awful lot of those lump, lump payments, the, the energy payments. You know, we had the 600 euros energy payment during, during the winter period. There's another 200 of that to come into everyone's uh, um, um, energy bill in March. Uh, we had the 400 euro lump sum payment for people. We have the 500 euros lump sum for carers. It looks like today we're going to do another 200 euros for carers, for pensioners, um, because these are people who are struggling yes. the most. But this government in particular yeah. wants to support and, and working the people. the delay of the 200 businesses. euro um, until the autumn, for example. Now, Richie Malloy was on to us earlier on and he made a very good point about that. He said, you know, people who are older, maybe people who have illness and that, they, they need heat. 
12 months of the year. They need to be looked after 12 months of the year, you know. So delaying something like that payment until... Yeah, but if, if you look at it, if you if you take all the payments into account, like the fuel allowance payment, the lump sum um, payment of 400 euros and the 600 euro credit payment, within the last 10 months, we've given a person that you give an example of there almost 2,000 euros to pay for their energy costs. That's not that's not including the increase in the twelve euros and on their pension. Right, but inflation is only at seven percent. Absolutely, but yeah. but two thousand euros isn't a small amount of money uh, to yeah. be to be given pension uh, to be given pensioners and people living. But, alone. but energy so bills so on average over the last eighteen months has gone up two thousand euros. So you, you, you take well, them. well, it, it it depends. It depends on households and it depends the type of energy that's coming average, in. Yeah. When when whether they're 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 air to to heat, whether they've got um um heating. It depends what type of energy mm. system they're on. But two thousand euros into into those homes is a quite significant amount. I think most people who speak to carers, and I speak to Richie quite a bit, would acknowledge that this government, especially in the last budget, has done quite an awful lot uh, for carers to support them over this period. And that's mm. why today again we're going to give another two hundred euro payment on top of the two hundred that's going to be given in the energy payment in March. So that's four hundred euros. Uh, the carers are going to get, and that's leaving aside pensioners as well. On top of that, um, so look like. We had a budget where there was 11 billion given out. This one today is about one, one and a half billion. It's not in the same um, um, space as what the budget was and it never mm. was going to be. But it's about recognising areas that we just need to give them a little bit of help for the next couple of months just to get to right. get them to the summer period. All right, Gary, good to talk to you today and thanks very much. By the way, talk to us about pancakes. Are you a pancake person? I I, gee, I only realised when I came in listening to your pancake. box pop that it was Pancake Tuesday. <laughs> I, it's such a busy okay. day yesterday and because we have a little boy at home at the moment, it was only eight weeks, our life is all over the place at the moment. So Pancake Tuesday. But I'm sure... I'm sure we'll make some when we go home this evening. Okay, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed, Senator Garrett. Uh, uh, Heron speaking to us today. 1800-938-007-1024. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip today out and about again this morning. We're going live to Thurlis now with uh, Ali. Good morning, Ali. Hi, Fran. Good morning from Thurlis. We're here on the Abbey Road at the beautiful Mehel House. And I'm ashamed to say it's my first time here. It certainly won't be my last. And it's the most incredible project, I think it's fair to say, that was ever undertaken in this county. And just for anyone maybe who isn't aware of what Mehel is and the work that's done, the Trojan work that's done by Down Syndrome Ireland and indeed Down Syndrome Tipperary, I'm joined here by a number of people. We're going to, to talk to them all today, but we're going to start with Rachel O'Regan, who's the branch administrator here at Mehel. Rachel, it's an incredible facility here, and I'm sure a lot of people are maybe vaguely aware of the work Mehel does, but to be here and to see what was done. I mean, this is essentially the house that COVID built, isn't it? That's for sure. I joined uh, Down Syndrome Tipperary in July 2020 in the middle of COVID and in October 2020 um, the renovation started with Noel Buckley taking out a few Lalande and um, in a basic uh, three-bedroom house and in six months it turned into uh, an amazing state-of-the-art centre, therapy centre for our members. We have over a hundred families that are members of Down Syndrome Tipperary and um, all ages from babies to adults and they come in for uh, social activities, therapies and even just to hang out and parents can get to meet and chat and uh, you know have the crack. And tell me what kind of therapies are offered here or available here? 
Uh, initially, we have um, speech and language therapy um, is the main Monday to Friday uh, therapy. But uh, depending on what is needed, uh, the parents definitely kind of come come to us when they're they want to the, to bridge the the gap of what is available. Um, out there and what their child needs. So we also work on um, psychotherapy, occupational therapy, um, and, um, you know, maybe education around um, uh, technology uh, for our adult members. The ETB work with us closely um, regarding that. Um, some of our members are nonverbal, so to be able to uh, WhatsApp their friends, to play um, on... Uh, the, on games like Switch or, um, you know, even voice notes or to Google Pin, that's all uh, the type of things that we do. Whatever they need, we'll, we'll try and provide it here for them. And it's baby to adult, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's a very important that babies start coming to us um, as soon as they're born. But Susanna can tell you more about that, our speech yeah. and language therapist. Can you tell me as well about the, the building as well of, of Mehel House? I believe over 80 tradespeople locally were in, included in it, which mightn't have happened had you not had COVID. Absolutely not. It was Michael Lowry initially made contact with the committee at the time, and he had contact with the charity Heart to Hand, which is a fantastic charity that goes out um, to Albania, to um, build orphanages and schools um, out there. And unfortunately, they weren't able to travel. But um, that was to our benefit because they were able to come in here then to provide their uh, expertise into yeah. building. But also, it actually went nationwide. Like during um, COVID, I was um, typing up letters, permission to travel letters for people in Galway, Dublin, Wicklow, you know, so um, Jerry Gannon Homes, they got involved and just transformed this place. And this also couldn't have been done without our neighbours, like the Omanis next door. Um, we have a fantastic playground, thanks to them. And around the, the neighbours in general, you know, to put up, there was a lot of machinery and early morning um, noise, thanks to Noel Buckley. Um, you know, so, you know, they've been very good. And the businesses in Thurlis and the surrounding areas, without yeah. them, we, this would not have happened. Well, the problem is, and what was surprising to me when we were speaking this morning, is it's totally um, dependent on fundraising. I mean, there's no direct funding, um, government funding for here at all. No, absolutely not. And I think that um, is um, uh, disgraceful because, like, let's face it, Down syndrome is not um, a new... Um, syndrome it's around uh, always and yet um, there's a lack of understanding of what is needed yeah. you know for for babies for children and uh, for adults with down syndrome yeah Rachel I'm, I might come back to you in a minute thanks a million for talking to us and she mentioned Noel Buckley who's our own Noel Buckley just in case you're wondering Fran and we'll speak to him they have a big fundraiser this weekend with Sarah's cycle but just to speak to maybe some of the other service users Angela and Linda are here with me um, and Angela, if I could start with you first, when did you first start getting involved with Down Syndrome Tipperary and with Mehul? Um, when Charlie was born. Um, uh, Charlie, my boy, is um, 16. So when Charlie was born, I was put in contact by another member. Um, she had said it to me, so I started going to the meetings. And again, like you said, the speech and language, all that type of therapy, you don't realise the importance of 
the oral stuff for eating, uh, feeding, because their muscles aren't as strong as another child, typical child. And so it's all that that helps with the speech in the early stages of a child's life. Yeah. And that's only just one of the things, one of the therapies that, that was used. Then it was physio and OT as well. Um, again, all those um, therapies help um, wish our child as early as possible. Yeah. Um, Charlie's 16 now. He's still... Um, he would have a few words, he would be fairly non-verbal, but he uses, thanks to the speech and language therapist here, Emer and Susanna, so he would use love and he would also use, and my daughter also is trained in love, and his grandmother and sisters. Um, we would use love quite a bit and now I've started to use um, an app, Prolo to go which we're using as well um, through the school, his teacher Eamon and his SNA is over there, um, he's in Skullings and they're excellent and mm -hmm. um, well experienced in that area and again the speech therapist here. Um, but he also was fitted then, only yesterday would you believe, with the Baha cochlear implant and already we've seen him speak more today. He had the operation and then it was fixed into the ear oh, and now he, the, uh, the implant was literally put on and all the frequencies heightened for his hearing and that's him there in the background. You can, and now he's literally trying to pronounce more words, so hopefully yeah. um, that'll work. So as a child with uh, no voice, you can understand that if a child has pain somewhere, say for Charlie, for instance, I have to literally guess, or I have to bring him to the doctor, and he's a great relationship with his doctor, and not every doctor he will allow look in his ears, look in his throat, and he's been going to him since he was born, and um, he won't allow anyone else to look into his ears. So th those are the type of challenges that I'm faced with constantly. And Charlie, um, it, is, it is very challenging, um, but he can't tell me what's wrong, so if I can't just off the top of my head say, OK, this is wrong, that's wrong, why is he sad, why is he crying, what's wrong, Charlie, point to it. If he doesn't, and he's upset, then I have to bring him to the doctor and say, can we rule this out, can we rule that out? Um, or I'll speak with his teachers, how was he today in school? So all of that communication for a child that can't have a conversation with me and tell me what's wrong is very, very hard, or how he's feeling, whether it's hormones, because he's 16, whether he's sad, whether he misses somebody, whether he wants to go in to see Nanny. Um, sometimes I'll say, do you want to do this? I know what makes him happy. He likes going to Nanny's house, he likes putting his toast on, he likes going in to see the dog and taking him for a walk, he loves granddad. So it's all the stuff around that um, that's very, very important. Mm -hmm. And Charlie also lost his dad over two years ago, which was very, very challenging at the time, but through Mehel here and through the school, they were an excellent support for him because like that there was no counselling, there was no therapies that would help Charlie, no play therapy that I could actually find. So Down Syndrome Ireland actually made again and she was very helpful. Rachel here put me onto a few contacts and like that speaking to others and we then had the psychotherapists here as well and they were excellent as well so it's all that type of thing it's a different language it's a different um, I suppose a different way of living life their journey but we're so proud of him because he's he's been through so much and he's done so well he's 16 now and um, you know he's thriving and again hopefully now he's here and will come on thanks to Cork the infirmary uh, in Cork um, we've been waiting for the Baha for the last 13 years um, so yeah and 13 like, years have been waiting to get in there yeah to get the ear implant because obviously a child that has no ear will possibly get it before Charlie we did price going to England at the time to get it done but it was so expensive um, so that wasn't a possibility, but... Um, that must have been very frustrating for you to have to wait 13 years. Yeah, it's very frustrating. It's like everything that's frustrating for you. You continuously have to have a voice and shout for 
different um, therapies and different types of things for him. And that's why we're very lucky here, as Rachel already mentioned, about um, speech and language, all those supports that we have here. Yeah. It lessens, the pay, I suppose, the, the struggle um, for, for the likes of Charlie and all our children here. Yeah. But um, this is a place he can come and he can be very happy in. And like that, it's always the struggle. Like we said, we have no direct funding from the government. It's all fundraised. And there can be frustration. But if we don't keep pushing on, like, like I said, I'm uh, one of the chair people here, along with Linda. Um, but more to the point, I'm a parent. So that pushes. And you have to stay pushing yeah. um, because they, they deserve it. And we will we, we, we'll never lay down we will always stay going with everything for them as long as they're smiling they're happy they get their their therapies their whatever they need we'll stop at nothing as mothers we don't we won't stop at anything um and that's why we it's excellent here to have this facility in turles and i'm literally living out the road so yeah we're blessed schools everything yeah. two excellent schools in cashel as well and then we have schools that are that provide great support as well with children with down syndrome yeah. um if that child is you know verbal and you know the different levels of course as well yeah. um so yeah um very very important to have this facility here and linda is another parent here and maya as well as with her linda if i could ask you as you know um angela was telling us about all the services it provides for for service users here but as a parent it must provide great support it does um we're very lucky here um, most of the parents um in the branch connect with each other um, they form great relationships, friendships. The kids um, have formed great um, social um, events, and um, they they get they meet their best friends here, yeah. um, and it's great. Um, we had our our dancing, we've hip hop on on a Monday night. Um, all our members that come dancing um, look forward to it. Yeah. Um, they have a great buzz. We've TYs that come down and and interact with them as well, and they all form great. Relationships with relationships with them as well. So um, we have a great, as I said, dance teacher Michelle Woodlock, who comes in and um, she knows our kids better than some yeah. of our some of, of us do know yeah. them. So it's great that they have that. Um, but we do we have great services here. As I said, um, it's very frustrating as a parent because you have to fight tooth and nail for everything: speech and language, um, OT, physio. Um, that's all things that we provide here in Mahel 21 um, for for all our members. Um, so it's great that they get that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and one of the, the therapists is here, Susanna Stoke. You're the uh, clinical speech and language therapist for here as well. I know you've been working with Down Syndrome Ireland for almost 20 years now. So for you, you've been in the system a long time. Is it frustrating to you, for you to see the lack of services that's available for parents? Um, actually, interesting you start with that because um, UCC carried out a study during COVID based on 2019 figures, so pre-COVID figures, and children with Down syndrome in Ireland, 56% of them received no services at all from the health board. And the average number of sessions that a child with Down syndrome in Ireland received was five. Wow, that's shameful. Do you know what? The research, the evidence-based research into intervention for our kids shows us that intensity, so how regularly therapy happens, and dosage, so the amount of therapy that happens, is what makes a difference. So services aren't even nearly beginning to meet the evidence-based standards. We're trying our best here to fill the gap. Even we aren't doing 
and we aren't doing enough to best meet our kids' needs, but we're trying, we're trying our very best to meet those speech and language needs. Another big problem that we have as well in the field is, and we've heard from parents on this show many, many times before, about this seeming drop-off when they turn 18. There's nearly nothing for them. Is, is that still a problem? Um, it, is, it is a problem, yeah. Actually, in that same study, no adult received therapy in that year, um, or very little therapy was received. Um, and actually, I always say, my big thing is early intervention. So I do early intervention with babies, which we can talk about if you like later, but actually in terms of adults, we even need early intervention with adults. Amazingly, the markers for Alzheimer's are found, the neuropathological changes, they call it, are found in nearly every adult with Down syndrome by the age of 40. So what we're trying to do here in the clinic is we're trying to start a... Um, a base where we get adults with Down syndrome and we assess their language so we can monitor changes in their language yeah. so that we can early identify markers for Down syndrome. So throughout the lifespan, there is no evidence that suggests that speech and language therapy has a plateau. So in other disabilities, you reach a plateau. You provide therapy and your child reaches like their maximum level. Our children, our adults, will continue learning for as long as we can provide intervention. That's incredible. As well, I know you were talking about the importance of early intervention and as well the importance of independence and developing that. Yeah, definitely. So I always say for our, our children in primary school, we want their speech and language skills or their communication skills because some children, like Angela's Charlie, aren't understandable to most of the public but he still has language skills yeah. and he can still communicate so we want our children to have those communication skills entering school throughout their school years because if they can't communicate with their peers they're missing out on so much interaction so it's not just sitting across the table saying your words multiple times building a structured sentence it's actually building language to build friendships to build social skills and the same I was saying about our teenagers we want them to grow to be independent adults yeah. so to live as an independent adult you need to be able to cook you need to be able to do your washing you need to be able to buy a train ticket all those things require you to be able to sequence sequence is a languaging skill that we as speech and language therapists can teach to our children so that as they get older they're able to use those skills practically in their everyday lives. Yeah. Uh, if I could move on to Paul now, who's another service user here. Paul, um, how long have you been involved here? I suppose uh, Rachel was born in 2008 and <clears throat> the first couple of weeks of Rachel's birth were spent up in Crumlin because mm. many of the kids with Down syndrome also have, many, have other health problems. So it was in Crumlin that we were put in touch with Down Syndrome Ireland and I became a member very shortly afterwards. Uh, I suppose in the early years, um, because the centre was not here, we were scattered all over the, the county. I'm from Care myself, um, but mem we have members from Nina and Ross Gray and right down to Clonmel and Carrick and Shure. And so it's a huge county. So we were scattered all over the place and we went to therapies in um, Cashel and wherever, but we didn't get to meet as groups. Yeah. Um, so I suppose since the centre here was built, 
we've got a, we've got a, a place where we can all meet, um, and we can the parents can take an active part as well in the running of the whole place. And I suppose that's when I got, got more involved actively myself in the um, organisation is when uh, Mel here was set up. Yeah, and it's an incredible facility. But unfortunately, as Rachel was telling us, it's purely de dependent on, on fundraising by ordinary people. And one of the big fundraisers is on this weekend, and that's Sarah Cycle. And who's here to tell us more is our very own Noel Buckley. Noel, I know you're getting ready to cycle this weekend. Tell us about this weekend's fundraiser. Yeah, this is uh, something Sarah Cycle uh, started in Tonmel originally, but when uh, this centre was up and running, they decided to have the base here in Turles. And I suppose it, not alone is it a fundraiser for Down Syndrome, but it's also a showcase for people maybe who drive by this place mm. and don't realise what's going on. And I was here last year and people came in the front. It looks like an ordinary house and came into the back and said, wow, couldn't believe I've been driving past this. So it's, it's raising awareness as well among the public as well as fundraising. And what I would say to people as well is maybe you can't cycle this Sunday because you've already got commitments or whatever, but you can donate directly here to Mehel 21 in Turles um, if, if, if you'd like to support what's going on. You've heard parents here, the fantastic work that's done. Minister Rabbit was here, Michael Lowry got her down to have a look at it. We're still trying to pursue the idea of regular funding because Ultimately, it's dependent on the Tour de Monster and other fundraising activities like next Sunday to keep this place floating, to keep the language therapists and others that are working here supported to provide the services that parents and their families badly need. Yeah. So if you're a cyclist on Sunday, please come. There's registration from 9 o'clock from... On, or it's on Eventbrite as well, Sarah's Cycle, if you look it up, if you want to register beforehand. Um, and if you just want to turn up in the day and register as possible as well, it'll be registered. What right. year is this of Sarah's Cycle? Are we year six, I think, on it? it I mean, it's been yeah. running for a few years now, hasn't it? We're seven or eight, year yeah. seven or eight, and it's, commemor it's commemoration of, of Sarah. Yeah. That's why it's called Sarah's Cycle. So uh, you have a choice of doing 100 kilometres or 50 kilometres, so if you don't feel up to the 100, and the beauty is uh, often a lot of cycling would have challenges built in them, but this is a nice flat cycle in the yeah. 100 kilometres is only 600 metres of time in which Only, only, he yeah, says. Well, it's over 100 <laughs> kilometres, and the beauty of it is the first, uh, the gentle climbing is done in your first 20, 30 kilometres after yeah. that, it's flat all the way. The other cycle is practically 50 kilometres is practically flat all the way. So the hundred, all of them start from the back here, so there will be plenty of stewards here on Sunday morning um, near the Holy Cross Road roundabout. There's yeah. parking at Jensk and Michael Lowry's place, Dreamline Enterprise. They will guide you around to the back, bring your bike. There'll be a bike doctor there if you need anything oh, checked out as well. And there'll be refreshments starting out. Come in and register at the back. You'll have a chance to see the facilities. Yeah. And uh, the cycle is rolling at 10 o'clock. And for the 100 kilometres and about 5 or 10 minutes later, the 50 kilometre will roll out after yeah. them. So, that, so the 100 kilometres is starting uh, here from the back, out by Kalainen, mm -hmm. uh, on then turning for Ballycal, onto Upper Church, the milestone, 
Anna Carty, Hollyford, Anna Carty, down into Dundrum, and there's a break there. Fantastic food again for cyclists. Both the 50 and, and the 100k will meet in Dundrum. Uh, refreshments there, chance to connect. I think a lot of people love connecting with each other yeah. on, on the cycle. And then from Dundrum, the 100 kilometres will head to um, Nakavella, Golden, Nguyen, Cashel, Horse and Jockey, Two Mile Boris, and uh, back into Turles. The 50 kilometre. Uh, uh, also the 50 kilometre then will head out the same route out by Kaline and on to Ballycal but will turn off uh, you'll see a signpost for Drumban to yeah. Prairie Town so it'll turn off there head to uh, Drumban Rossmore uh, on to Dundrum yeah. and back in uh, around by Nguyen Cashel and under the rock and on by Borland, Holy Cross and yes. back in here. And when you arrive here then um there's refreshments again and food when you arrive back. Yeah. Uh so and Andrew Stokes um will be here for those who often worry about having their bicycle stolen. Um he's providing a bike t- tagging service. So bring your air code and he can put a laser treat it onto the bicycle so that if it is ever stolen yeah. and the guards recover it it's a very easily identified who is the owner but I suppose the big focus is uh, it's a fun day out you cycle at your own pace uh, but the big thing is to donate whatever you can afford and people would say oh I have a lot calling me look if everybody donates a small amount this house Mehel is an example of people donating their service in terms of time and the transformational effect it has had and you've heard the accounts of yeah. parents, the difference it has made in their lives. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yep. So for anyone who's looking to take part in that, they can do so uh, on Eventbrite, and um, we'll put up details on Sarasite. Details, and as I said, yeah. if you can take part, you might like to donate. If you, uh, you can donate electronically, you see yeah. it on Eventbrite, or if you want to, if you're passing, drop in money into the centre, yep. it's open here. Absolutely. So that's it from here on the Abbey Road in Thurless, Fran for Mehill. And I know this is an event that has been growing every year, so we'd be encouraging as many people to come out as possible. Well, thanks very much for that, Ali, and my best to everybody there. And it's a project I'm very familiar with indeed, and it really is a credit to everybody uh, involved there for sure. You know, I was very saddened to hear this morning about the death of Mary Theresa Carroll, uh, Mary Theresa uh, from Nina. And every time I broadcast from Nina, uh, Mary Theresa would come in and say hello. And she's been doing that for years and years and years and always extremely supportive and complimentary and always a big smile. And uh, she loved music as well. And we often chatted about that uh, too. So my condolences to Anthony, to her her husband, Anthony, and I know her dad, uh, Michael, and her brothers and sisters as well. So uh, condolences to everybody. But she was a joy to meet. She was one of life's angels, I think. And... uh, yeah, very saddened to hear about that this morning. And thank you to uh, one of our listeners who knew that I was very fond of her and uh, took the time to let me know that uh, this morning. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. And uh, many of our listeners uh, making the point that, you know, energy bills have gone through the roof and the €200 Euro credit is a joke. 
It says here from one of our listeners. What about people who are working diesel and petrol uh, excise duty uh, to go back up? It is indeed, but on a phased basis between now and uh, I think it's September, isn't it? Um, John from Nina on to say it's amazing to hear TDs talking about uh, what money they are giving, but never mention realistically what they are taking from people. It's like them taking 1,000 from people and giving back 400 in different stages and highlighting it. But still, they've taken 600 from us, says one of our listeners uh, today. Good morning, Fran. Uh, A birthday request, please, for my wife, Ellie O'Neill from Clonmel. She's a super tip today fanatic. And uh, I'm trying to get her out of bed all morning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's busy listening to the radio and even though it's her birthday uh, best of luck to her and uh, Ellie O'Neill in Clonmel from your loving husband and uh, Ben and Callum and uh, Eva Kate plus Dax and Susie the pups as well thank you so much well we're very happy to do that and uh, she can get up out of bed now there's no problem no problem whatsoever um, does the government think that people who are working aren't affected by the cost of uh, living, says Martin. Uh, working extra hours to get extra, um, but uh, paying more tax. Uh, nothing against people on social welfare, but some out there, um, if work was in bed, they'd sleep on the floor. These people you pass in pubs midweek, they're outside smoking, never worked a day in their lives. Uh, social welfare needs to be overhauled, says uh, Martin. On 083-311-3311. All right, we'll uh, take another break and uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch is with me in studio. I better get your title right, John. Yeah, call there. me Sir, please. <laughs> my learned friend. My lord. My learned, my learned, or as they often say when you're addressing somebody uh, who's more elevated, like a judge, you say, with all due respect, which is kind of a precursor to, <laughs> to, to I don't agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah particularly we where, where the Irish are concerned, whenever they preface something with, with yeah. all due respect, yeah, you know it's going to be an insult. But I, I often think. <laughs> I always, I often enjoy it when you're around in a social scenario and you know somebody says and you say something and say now with respect and you go right okay I know where we're going with this one <laughs> it's lovely isn't it but yeah. sure it's a polite way of ha- having an argument with Absolutely. you I suppose yeah, well, now it is February but there's still resolutions that we need to look at for the new year from a legal point of view well you know? my new year's resolution was to finish the new year's resolutions before next year <laughs> so I'm just going to flick through them really yes. really fast and the resolutions that you make in the context of, for example, you know, family law. Obviously, I'm not talking divorce, but I'm talking about things like regulating, uh, you know, if you're a father of a child and you're, you're not a guardian, is to regulate that. Mm. And it's a relatively straightforward process. If you're living with somebody, you should consider a cohabitation agreement because there are so many difficulties that arise at the, at the breakup of a relationship or on the death of one of the parties in a cohabitation, cohabitating relationship. Yes. And again, this is something that you should be looking at and trying to deal with it. And 
the other one, which is the old one that the, I was going to say the old the old one, as in the one we, we commonly talk about, is that you should obviously regulate your position in the context of succession planning and wills and things like that, particularly when you're dealing with a blended family because mm. obviously you know, there are so many different connotations that you have to look at. And the other uh, one that always makes me smile is the prenuptial agreement because I always get this visual image of somebody going down on one knee and in the in one hand they have the ring and, and the other <laughs> hand they have an, a document yes. that needs to be signed, which is very unromantic, but there you go. But yeah, again, prenuptial agreements and prenuptial agreements uh, in a serious context often have to do with the difficulties that might arise in terms of, you know, somebody who's coming from a background which is a business background which is involved in family or with other uh, business partners. And that kind of leads you into the other scenario, which is when you're dealing in business and the question of whether or not if you're a sole trader, should you incorporate? Should you go into a limited liability company? And if you should, when should you and why should you? And for what are the reasons and are they good enough reasons to do it? And then obviously the other one that comes up over and over and over again and uh, it's almost part and parcel of life almost is that you, you're going to have business disagreements you're going to have disagreements in relationships and business relationships are no different so in those circumstances you immediately start thinking of well what's the law going to do if we have a row mm-hmm. and the answer to that of course is that if you don't have things like partnership agreements if you don't have things like shareholders agreements if you don't have agreements around your contract with with the company you're going to be in a situation where it's got it's going to be more troublesome than not if you know what I mean so in other words mm. better at least have sat down discussed it and committed it to an agreement than not because if you don't do that then it's a bit like as as fell often says you know people are often was it Einstein or whoever said you know that he, he's always amazed at people expecting different outcomes from doing uh, the same uh, thing for the same thing so yeah. the reality is if you don't have an agreement obviously you're going to ha- and you're going to have mm. a row and if there's nothing to benchmark it you're going to get into right. litigation or, or I suppose to be black and white but it'll cost you uh, correct I mean that's, that's uh, the thing, and, and that's a, yeah and that's an interesting one because the irony is of it is down the years I'm always amazed well I'm not because I'm a bit like that myself that uh, you're inclined to try and save money uh, you know when you're doing something mm. so you know if somebody comes in to me and they're making a will or, or they want to do an agreement or whatever or you know what I mean we're really disinclined to spend money on trying to prevent it's a bit like actually the the government and the way we deal with things mm. is it's much easier to spend money when there's an absolute crisis so you know when we had the covid crisis suddenly we were spending money left right and center yeah. Yeah. whereas a lot of the issues that arose during covid I mean, you wouldn't have a chance of getting funds for, for some of those things. Whereas, and it's the same thing with problems that arise from a legal point of view. People will go into huge cost to have a row mm. and get into litigation, get into court. Suddenly they're looking at a huge amount of money. Whereas if you said to them, well, actually, here's an agreement and it's going to cost you 3000 
4,000, 5,000. They go, mm. holy mother of God, how could it possibly cost that kind of money? And yet, if they have a disagreement and it gets into a row, you're talking 20, 30, 40 multiples of that. And it's the same, you know, and again, I always try and work it out in my head, and I know I'm as guilty as anybody of it. You know, it's like, you know, getting the fella in to do the job for you at home, and it's and one fella comes in and says, well, it's going to cost you this, mm. and then the other fella's this, and we go for the fella that's less, and then we're wondering why. Why we have a shoddy job. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, and I'm not for one minute suggesting that anybody would be doing a shoddy job, mm. but you know mm. what I mean? And it's the same, you know, somebody comes in to you and they're, they're, you say to them, well, I think you should do a cohabitation agreement, I think you should do a will, and, it, and it's going to cost you X, and they're going, oh, uh, no, I don't think so. But, but, years later... It's going to cost a multiple. Course, and the yeah. same with family law and the same with divorce and I, the amount of people that could have put all their kids through college for the amount of money they spent on a divorce row. Do you know what I mean? Things like that. Of course, yeah. The prenuptial is one that often interests me, though, because mm. I, my understanding was it's not worth the paper it's written on. Ah, no, that's not true. Uh, paper's always worth something. <laughs> Especially no. if it's signed by, by an attorney. Particularly <laughs> if I'm giving it to you. No. But, uh, no. but, I mean, is it? Uh... No, the, the, the law on it is uh, not legislated. In other words, there has been no clear-cut direction from the courts as to whether they will or won't take into account a prenup agreement. And we know from international media coverage in other jurisdictions that it is taken into account. But what we do know is that separation agreements have been looked at in the context of divorce and they've been looked at in a certain way. The courts have viewed them in a certain way. And the courts in my view, and this obviously is my own, my personal interpretation of it, the courts, when they looked at an agreement by a couple that in the event of a breakdown of a marriage, they wanted things to be dealt with in a certain way, what the courts have said is, yes, we'll take it into account, but, but, and there's always a but, it's with all due respect to the separation agreement or with all due respect to the prenup agreement, the courts will show a certain amount of respect to it, but not to the point where it doesn't, it isn't fair. So if the courts consider the courts consider that they have a, a mandate under the constitution to treat to to imply mm. fairness to any breakup scenario. So obviously if you have a breakup scenario and you have a prenup agreement <coughs> and or you separate and you had a separation agreement, the courts in my view will look at both and say, well, if they're fair we will take them into account. Not necessarily make them, apply them literally as they were done, hmm. but will take them to, into account. So the, it's a bit like when they introduced, and again, this is probably an argument rather than a conclusion, if you know what I mean. But I remember when divorce first came into this country, I remember sitting and I was, I, I, it was a great bit of amusement when it was introduced, amusement, not so amusing, depending on which side you were on, mm. but there was an argument that broke out at a conference that I was in between two different factions. I won't, you can guess which the factions were, but it was to do with the certainty of divorce. In other words, the big question was, were we introducing divorce in Ireland whereby the court would make a, a decision and that decision would be final? Because we in Ireland introduced judicial separation and divorce. And 
one side of the room, and I'd say side of the room, but generally mm. one side yeah. of the room says, oh, fantastic, you can reopen it. And the other side said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Can you really? Re-? So there was a debate there for quite a number of years after the introduction of divorce on the question of whether or not could you make it final? Could there be, could you literally put a line in the sand and say, this is it, and divorce is a final solution mm. to a breakup situation? And what the court did eventually say was that despite the fact that there was, uh, as there were circumstances under which you could revisit divorce, that this was the exception rather than the rule, and that it would have to be a very exceptional that you could reopen the issue of divorce. Right. So that kind and of and the exception would be what if you had a huge windfall, if one person had a huge windfall, they or wanted... if somebody didn't represent the position correctly, correctly. or if there okay. was dramatic change in circumstances or whatever. So yeah. you know, but very very exceptional because um, and again it came very much to the fore when the Celtic Tiger went out the door because oh, obviously you had really substantial divorces and then suddenly the whole landscape changed so that, that came into the picture. Right. So, is, there, is there anything to, to lead you to believe that we might look at some legislation for prenup agreements? Is, there, is that... I think there may come a point where there'll be a constitutional um, kind of case that will raise the issue as yeah. to whether or not there's any validity in it or not. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if that were to happen. Now, it hasn't happened, funnily enough, and for whatever reason, I don't know. But, I mean, we've we've done prenup agreements and they have stood mm. up and they've been... And again, I suppose, like everything else, Fran, it really comes down to yeah. how fair it is. And not telling tales out of school, but do you have a, a good number of people coming into you we to set up well, prenup yeah, we, agreements? We've done Would you? Pre- yeah, not a good number, no. I wouldn't say a good number. Yeah. We're still ro- living in a very romantic Ireland. But yeah, no, and I don't mean to be flippant, but no, not a substantial number of people doing it. Right. But it is, and primarily people that are trying to protect right. uh, situations. Far Farms, I guess, yeah, will come into exa- that, would businesses, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or family businesses where you're trying to protect the situation. I mean, again, it's one of the unfortunate things with the introduction of divorce is that it it can drive a horse and cart through, you know, all sorts of succession planning because mm. the horse and cart mightn't be a very good analogy, but, you know, but yeah, I have this picture of a horse and cart with a judge sitting on it, driving straight through. But, I mean, the reality... Your imagination is really uh, remarkable. It's taken off. Yes. But it's the situation you see is that uh, the court has a discretion in particularly in divorce and it is a very substantial discretion to look at everything and that's where the issues often come in you know mm. what anyway. else what else do we need to okay so mind? what else are you looking at so you're looking at we talked about succession planning we saw, talked about limited company shareholders agreements and then when you're looking at property transactions you know because we're Hopefully we're, we're, and there is there has been a change in the last two years in terms of there's a lot more uh, property transactions being undertaken. But so when you're looking at property, you're looking at, and the one, again, it's an add-on and an extra cost when you're looking at a, a situation where you're buying property with somebody else. So you're looking at co-ownership agreements. Again, an extra, it's an add-on, but it's an add-on protection because you'd, you wouldn't be surprised if I told you that quite a number of people who buy property together for one reason or another, suddenly there's a falling out. Mm, and mm. when there's a falling out, if there's no agreement as to how that falling out might be addressed, then you, you've got a problem. And likewise, 
you're not going to be surprised if I tell you that people will often buy property together involved in, in a kind of a collective investment type scenario where again they fall out and or one of them uh, passes on and there's no agreement on how that might be dealt with. So again it's 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 that step beyond just simply saying okay let's just we'll buy this property together it's yes if we do buy it how are we going to manage it how are we going to deal with the various issues that might arise so that's a co-ownership agreement mm. now the other thing of course is that and uh, again funny we might, I must be on a particular chain of th- thought this morning but the other one that you're on and I only had a conversation about it last week was that if you're selling property or if you're thinking of selling your house or you're thinking of selling something during the, you really should before you put it on the market have a stress test and what I mean by that is you should check to make sure the title is okay, the planning is okay, you know, that everything is okay with it. And the problem, of course, with the, with that is that we're all in the situation where we don't want to spend money mm. unless we have to. Mm. But the problem is that if you're selling property in a market that isn't on the up in terms of a whole load of people out there to buy, people are going to there are going to be issues with the property. So you're trying to preempt mm. any issues that might be with the property. And that requires you to do it in advance. Yes, and it's worth looking at because we had an issue with this. We had no idea about that mm. our map for our site Correct. and our home was completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, it not, was imposed in on yeah. other people's sites and Correct. stuff. Correct. So it's not important uncommon to do it. at all, at all, at all. And... And again, these, you know, it's not necessarily anybody's fault. These things happen mm. and they only come to light in certain circumstances. But the other thing is the planning one. You know, like you've got a situation where you thought you had the planning, you thought the planning was right till you checked and found that in fact it wasn't right or that something was built and it didn't have permission and you have to apply for retention. And you see, and the other thing is they've changed the whole, sorry, they changed the way I used to always... Um, I was going to say argue, but the way I used to always suggest to people would be, because I would never argue with the client. Not but, at all. You know, but I would have said to somebody, you know, you take it all out, put it all together, give it to the other solicitor, and then if everything's A-OK, then you've got a contract signed within a relatively short period of time. And then the Law Society must have been listening to me, and they changed the way of doing conveyancing now to the extent that you must now produce everything in the one go to the purchase solicitor and that's supposed to shorten everything. However, there's a big time lag then you see in putting together all the stuff. So you've got the auctioneer who goes off, does a good job, sells your property for you, then sends a sales advice note to the solicitor saying, okay, property sold, price agreed, blah, 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 issue contract please. You can't. You're looking for the title documents. It takes you two months to get the title documents. You 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 then have a look and talk to the client, go through everything, look at the documents. There's something missing, or you go through some and the planning isn't right away. And suddenly, suddenly, a transaction that should take a relatively short period of time is going on for months mm. and months and months. Mm. And it's it's a real problem. Or it might fall apart. Yeah, exactly. Just, and yeah. and if it's if it's a if it's a difficult market. You know, you're in serious trouble with that. So, so, but again, it's probably, uh, you know, I must, as I said to you, I must, uh, uh, running on the same theme here, is that if to do something like that, you've got to actually go into your solicitor and say, look, can we do this in advance? And 
uh, you know, I know it's going to cost to do it, but can we do it in advance, get it done, have it ready to go, and then I can issue a contract. And then you can say, well, look, everything is A-OK. Can we get this sorted out? And then I suppose to a certain extent, that, that should that would be my mantra certainly if mm. I was thinking of selling property and the other one uh, the old classic one that causes trouble all the time is the old rights away one mm. and access one I mean it is just so problematic and it is just something that you have to just check and get it right in advance and you know it's if ever they're ever going to do a field, redo the uh, play on the field, I think they should do it on rights away. Because do you I think, think so, it, yeah. I think it is mm. probably the most contentious uh, area. And in, is in the main thing. problem with it, Asher, we always did that and we always went through that field and we yeah. always went up that path. Is, Correct. is that it? This and then the fellow, up, and the fellow up along the path going, well... I don't think I'm going to... I don't think you ever went up that path. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's really... It's, you know, it's problematic. But And, you know, the history of... It just... It is... And it's so hard to sort it out. Because, you see, unfortunately, if you lie... Like, they introduced this lovely little simple, straightforward way of dealing with rights away under the conveyancing... The new act... Uh, not new now, 2009, but they introduced this lovely little way and they were going to say, well, here we are, here's a fast hack registration procedure here. So you come to me and you say, you don't come to me, you send off papers to the land registry, you show your little map, show your little right away, and then I get notification and I go, no, I don't agree. And the land registry says, well, we're not here to adjudicate on this, so sorry, no register right away. So from a position of what used to be the practice that you would give me a declaration saying that you'd used it and that would be ha- everybody be happy with that mm. and you wouldn't have to be having the row to right. register it. Right. You then introduced a registration system that created the row. So it turned into a, a mighty mess and unfortunately then, of course, what happened? The When it came to the deadline date there last year, the uh, minister for whoever we won't say said... Okay, well, let's kick this bucket down the road. So the bucket's Which still being kicked did. down the yeah. road. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, so that's a problem. So if you're if you're on good terms with a neighbour and you have a right of way and they have no issue with it, uh, you just get them to consent right. to register, and that's the end. And of that's it. what I was going to ask you. He has to sign. Yeah, a, yeah, a, a consent yeah. to yeah. that. Yeah, but okay. that's the easiest way. Just get a consent to register it, and then that's the end of it. If you know what I mean. But you'd be amazed at the amount of. Well, you've been talking about it for quite a number of years on yeah, the phone, yeah, so it yeah. certainly is I'm an issue. I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> Anything else there, John, that we no, need to... Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the various things. I mean, the other one the other one that's going to be really very much in the fore, I'm hoping, I keep waiting for it to be, and I checked it again this morning, is the whole... Uh, co-decision making agreements and yes. things like that mm. and like there I mean just in a nutshell it's kind of a step one step two step three step one is the is what they call uh, a co-decision making agreement in that you appoint somebody to make the decision with you when you think that you might need help to do it then there's a decision making agreement where somebody actually makes the decision with you which mm. is the next step and then the third one is that there's nobody there to do it and you make an application to the court to appoint a decision making representative and there there's a 
there's a suite as I call it now, of things available for succession planning. There's your will, which we've talked about. There's your enduring power of attorney if you lose capacity. There's your decision-making agreement if you need a little bit of help. There's your tax planning. And then there, you know, there's your succession planning, your tax planning side of it. And then the final one is the, um, I always have to look at this, the healthcare directive, advanced healthcare directive, which is the final kind of part of the suite that you should put into place. And I'm just waiting for them to finish this thing and Mm. get it done because it's been supposed to be done for the last five years. They're saying this is the year for it. And I'll have a full suite then, as a lawyer, I'll have a full suite of things for people to deal with. Because as I've told you, that's what I'm. That's where I'm now at, after 40 years in practice. I'm at the succession end of, good, of, yeah. of the yeah. thing. And as soon as they get that out of the way, I'll be saying no more studying for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite happy. That's to it. <laughs> that's it. John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks yeah, very thanks much for, indeed. John very Lynch very from Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Some questions in for John. As usual, we will put them together and we will uh, make sure that he addresses them in uh, some of his uh, future slots on the programme. But thank you for that. 083 Double one. The Glortira final on TG Car uh, kicks off tonight at half past uh, nine. And as you know, at this stage, the temporary interest in that is Molly O'Connell. And uh, Molly joins me now. Good morning, Molly. Good morning, Fran, and hello to all your listeners this morning. So, how are the butterflies in the tummy at this point, Molly? They're not too bad, friend. To be honest, I'm excited more so than any anything else, and just delighted to be in the final and got through two voting, two votes already. You know, so super excited. Isn't it great? I'm I'm yeah. following what's happening on social media for you, for you, Molly, and the amount of support and interest that you're getting out there is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, friend. I, as I said last week on TV, it's an ocean of support, and I'm just my phone literally is on fire because it's they're coming from every county and both in the UK as well. People are messaging me in America, um, people that's gone over maybe to Australia that's even following it. It's it's after just escalating, which is fabulous to, to know the Irish are just a matter where they are, they're supporting you. Isn't is it super. great? You're also yeah. out there and you're guesting with bands of various different dances and, and stuff. And again, yeah. I'm hearing great things. Um, you know, people are loving what you're doing. Oh, I'm delighted to hear that, Fred. And I was delighted with the opportunity to be able to pop up and sing a couple of songs with all the social bands as well. And just, it makes people smile. And you know yourself when you're out there, yourself a muriel. Any night that you go up on stage and make people smile and dance is always a great night. Yeah, sure, it's always a kick, that's for sure. So what are you expecting tonight, Molly? How will this work, the final? So the final, I'm not sure really. Now, last week we didn't know that the judges got to choose the last person to go through. Right. Now, I don't know, will there be a spanner in the works again when we go down? Will it'll just be the three of us open to the full voting or will the judges have a play in it? That I do not know. Um, but I'd say, I'd say, Fran, it's probably the three of us will sing and the voting opens. I'm sure, I know it opens at half nine, so. Right. 
So yeah, you're, you're thinking the, the adjudication panel mightn't be part of tonight's decision making? I don't know. I'm not sure, yeah. friend, to be honest. I don't know. I think it will, they'll just leave it up to the vote, and I, I think. But like in saying that, it could be different when I go, go down. Yes. Would you prefer if it was just left open to the public? To I, the think so. I, I think so. I think it gives the three of us an equal, you know, yeah. shot at it because we all have our own support from different counties. And um, I think that's it, probably more fair, I would right. say. But so what have you to do tonight? How many songs do you get to sing tonight? So tonight now, friend, it's two songs again we mm-hmm. have to sing. So each, and I presume we'll sing them back to back possibly again like we done last week. Um, like that, we won't know till we go down. And then they have um, Ashley Rafferty. Can't wait to see Ashley oh, tonight. Very good, yeah. me Another well. lovely Tipperary lady. Yeah. yeah, she's coming down to do a guest spot as well. And John Hogan, I was talking to John, he's doing um, a guest spot as well. He was one of the judges the first week when I was with Louise. Mm-hmm. And he's popping down. So I don't know what else. I presume there's little interviews. Louise is coming down as well and David James. And they'll be interviewed as well um, about the whole journey, I presume, with the contestants. So it's going to be a good show, friend, I'd say, to watch in tonight. Very good. I'm sure it will be and very exciting indeed. Now, people who haven't voted in the past, they can still vote tonight, of course, Molly. They can, of course, yeah. If anyone hasn't downloaded the, the Lower Tierra app, again, you go to your Play Store, you need a smartphone mm. and pop in G-L-O-R-T-I-R-E and then you'll see that little Lower Tierra app going in. Now, it does ask you for just your email and a few things um, just to... Uh, have your account activated and then there is five free votes there and anyone then that would like to vote there's a small percentage of um, you can pay if you want to for a vote or two yeah, right. so Very good. it would be great What would it mean to you to win tonight Molly? Oh friend I would just be over the moon like I, I think the support number one that I've got behind me and to see that that, that that is a success, that all the support that came with me and to win it, it's just, it would be a dream come true. Definitely a goal that I had written down many years ago to be in Glortira and to be in the final. And I, I can't believe it's in my reality today, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's super, you know, that you can believe in yourself and, you know, have a goal and try and achieve it. And tonight would be super to bring back that title to Tipperary. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be absolutely fantastic yeah. indeed you've given up an awful lot for this even by way of your, your hairdressing career yeah I have I have but still at the end of it you know I, I still love music it's always been a part of my life since I was six years of age so when you've that little dream and you've got that passion in your heart um, it's good to give up something else to have that dream you know yeah. come into reality you know, so I'm delighted that it is happening for me. Well, we wish you the very, very best, Molly, and you have all the support of the Tip Today listeners, that's uh, for sure. To just remind them again, then, if they want to vote for the first time, you have to download that app, haven't you? Yeah, you yeah. have to. And I'd say, friend, just for people to download it maybe prior to the show, because they might get a little, as you said, um, overwhelmed when you're kind of trying of to get the voting. Because I think it's only half nine till quarter past ten is the voting, and then they close that to obviously account all the votes. Right. So, yes, yeah, you just download it prior to the show. That would be super. Very, um, very and also to you, Fran, as well, I want to thank you and Tip FM. And I've seen the lovely little poster that went up yeah. on your pages on the media, myself and yourself. Yeah. Uh, forever grateful to you and all Tip FM listeners that have texted in and supported me the whole journey along. Of, I'll never forget it. Really close to my heart, all of you. Well, all we can say to you is the very, very best of luck tonight, Molly. And, you know, when you win, just uh, say hello to us, won't you? I will. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think if I win, friend, I think I'd be out tears. 
That's uh, all you'll probably see, you know, emotions. But, yeah, but you're, why, you know. why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Well, yeah. listen, we have great faith in you. You're a lovely singer and a great performer, Molly. So look after yourself Thank and you, best friend. of luck to you. Thanks. Thank you so Thanks. much for every and everyone out there. Thanks so much for your support. God right. bless Thanks everyone. Thanks very much, Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That is Molly O'Connell. Tonight, it's the final of uh, Lortira. Now, Sarah joins me. Sarah, good morning to you. Hi, friend. And uh, we hope we find you well this morning, Sarah. We were discussing that whole notion of kids kissing relatives and stuff and that children shouldn't be forced to kiss anybody. Um, How how do you feel about that? I don't think a child should be forced to to show hug or kiss or show that to anybody. I mean, if you're saying forced, then that in itself should tell you it's wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I know it was always the done thing, especially when I was a child. You'd give your nanny a hug now, or give your auntie or your uncle a hug or a kiss. But unfortunately, the way modern society is now and the the level of crimes against children and things like that, I think to force the child to show affection towards a person is probably the wrong message to send. Because how do they know in the future then what's? Oh, I was told now I had to hug my auntie the other day. So if something is happening to them. Do they feel, oh, well, maybe I should have to do this as well? You know, this is... That's very interesting. ...that you love them or, uh, and you that, know. W- that was the point that the child psychologist made to me the other day yeah. uh, as well, that it's giving over control, essentially, yeah. Sarah. Yeah, and they can't... I mean, a child isn't going to be able to tell the difference between a genuine... showing genuine affection, if it is a, you know, a family member or a friend and a person who maybe might be... have other kinds of bad ideas about what they're going to do when they get that close to a child, you know. The the only downside I'd see is the perception that the child is being bold if it doesn't agree to kiss nanny or kiss uh, granddad or whatever. What what about dealing with that, Sarah? I would, if it was me, I would just say, you know, that's okay. Yeah. If you want, if you feel like you want to give them a hug, that's okay. If you don't, then that's okay also. Right. Child should know that it's okay to say no. And some children even, it depends, children with sensory issues or other issues, just who aren't comfortable with with that kind of a thing, you know? That's another very good point I hadn't thought about, that some kids would be find it particularly difficult, I suppose. Yeah. If some they... children could be overly affectionate and then you have children that just, they don't like the idea of being hugged or people in their space or, you know, they're allowed to have their personal space and that's important to learn about as well. So it shouldn't be forced upon them to breach that. So you agree with the psychologist in that it should be child-led, like, you know, let the child take the, the 100%, lead on this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we did get uh, a few texts and WhatsApp in afterwards to say, "I should God's sake, we all kissed and hugged granddad and grandma, and we're no no worse the because of it." Um, what do you say to people like that? You know, I think so. Unfortunately, times have changed. Yeah, they really have, and with the, like I said, the amount of child abuse and things that are going on. And I'm not saying that's what it's about all yes, the time. Yeah. But yeah. it's just, I think it's a different generation, it's a different age that it should be child-led. And if the child isn't comfortable, then we should be, we should actually acknowledge that and accept that and not say, you're wrong for feeling that. Right, very good indeed. Do you remember at any time, Sarah, being uncomfortable at being pushed into a situation like that? Can you, do, I, do you have your memories staying with you about that? I remember, I just remember very much being told... Give me a hug now. Come on, sure, I'm your granny or your, you know, or yeah. not my grandmother or anything because we adored her. But yeah, yeah. There would be maybe family members you haven't seen for a while or, you know, aunts, uncles, 
and anything like that, even family, friends, and you just might not feel comfortable around them, you know? Yeah, I, I, I repeated the story the other day, but it always intrigues me. A listener told me one time that they still have nightmares because as a child they were forced to kiss um, the corpse of their grandmother in the coffin. And oh, it, it stayed with them, like, for, for their lifetime, you know? I can imagine the person never wants to see a corpse again. Yeah, but uh, wasn't that dreadful? And and that did happen, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah, no, and you, anyone that... If you feel you have to push them or force them, and if, if, you, if they look like they're being uncomfortable or feeling that way, let them alone. Leave them be. Yeah, especially children, needless to say. Um, Sarah, lovely to talk to you. And you Thank you. you look after if yourself. I could just mention of very can, quickly Sarah. while I have you on air, yeah. um, on Friday week, Friday the 3rd of March, from 10am to 12, I'm hosting a coffee morning to raise funds for Bumbleance. Oh, yes. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. They're fantastic. I, I have indeed, but do you want to explain to listeners what, what they do? It's fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, basically, Bumbleance is a special ambulance that's kitted out to look really, really fun. It's mm. got bumblebees all on the outside, but they have qualified medical staff who drive the ambulance. Um, the inside of it is made to look like it's a relaxed, fun environment. They've got Netflix, PlayStations, music, lights. Um, but basically what they do is they transport children maybe to chemotherapy appointments, post or pre-, pre or post-surgery appointments. And they also do angel trips. So that's when the child is maybe going home for the last time. They transport them home and there's qualified staff with them. They have all the medical equipment that they need. But it's all volunteers who do it. They need charity for charitable donations to actually be able to run. And so they're, it's going to be a nationwide thing across Ireland in March, on the 1st of March, I believe, is when it kicks off. It's called Brew for Bumbleance. And they're encouraging people to host a coffee morning. And so I've decided I'm going to host one at my home. Very good. The and can you air, tell us where yeah, that is, Sarah? It's in Rockfield, Glen Connor. So number 35 is my house. Okay. If anyone knows the area, it's the old Glen Connor down past St. Oliver's Church. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, the 3rd of March at 10 a.m. it's starting. And I've actually been gifted a lot of prizes. I'm running um, a raffle as well right. and there's been some amazing gifts given towards that and vouchers and all sorts of right. huge amount of stuff to be won but it's all to raise funds for, for this charity so if anybody's around on the morning anybody who wants to come along is welcome a friend of mine is baking some really nice things and there'll be teas and coffees and come along and catch up with people if you want to contribute or donate in any way please let me know Sounds and give great. my details into yourself all right Sarah really and we, charity. yeah we'll have those details here if anybody uh, wants them Sarah yeah, we I, wish you well it's always good great. to talk thank to you, you and thank you thank you thank Good thank you it's, uh, that's uh, Sarah speaking to us this morning Michael was on to us from Tipperary Town and he's not at all happy with uh, Glortira uh, this year, he says, has been watching for a number of years, and he's not at all happy with the uh, lineup uh, this year. Um, I, yeah, I don't follow it very much, to be honest with you, Michael. I mean, my interest in it this year is because Molly is in it, and I know Molly, and I think she's terrific. Uh, normally, I don't, I don't have much interest in the program. I have to say, um, but thank you, and uh, good to hear from you today. Oh eight three three double one double three double one. Tom is with me. Tom, good morning to you. Hello. Uh, good to talk to you, Tom. You, you have some opinion on this of kids um, kissing grandparents or being forced to kiss relatives or whatever? Well, actually, Fran, I don't think they should be forced mm. at all, but uh, I think they should be encouraged, maybe, but they should be taught to be kind and loving, maybe, uh, but mm. uh, maybe it expresses itself then after. But uh, certainly I wouldn't put pressure on them. You know, sometimes kids are... Spontaneous. Mm, mm. 
which is nice. But um, you know, I think we all maybe spontaneous at times, but but no way would I put pressure on them. You know. Yes, and and uh, you know, I mean, it could be very. I'm looking at it from the other point of view as well. You know, that of a, a grandmother or a grandfather. Should they be delighted to get a hug from the the grandchildren, and they'd be disappointed if they didn't? I suppose, Tom. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, I totally agree with that. I have a little granddaughter myself. You know. Yeah, and, and it, it, I guess it's magical when you meet her, is it? It's, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. She's in Killarney, but at the same time, uh, it can be spontaneous from them as well. Yes. You know, it's yeah. kind of uh, obviously it's the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, and and um, the point that Sarah made is that. We're living in different times now, Tom. Would you go along with that? That we were we're probably more careful than maybe. Oh, exactly. In fact, uh, from a male perspective, no. I, I, you know, there is a bit of fear out there. I know. I know. Yeah, but uh, I suppose at the same time, maybe maybe what I'm saying already is just maybe be guarded, but be also open to it and be. Yes. You know, well, um, isn't that ter- I know exactly what you're saying because I love kids and I love babies, yes, and yes. and you're right. And I'd love to go up and say hello to them, and so but you're right, we second guess ourselves now because of all that has gone on, and that's a pity, isn't it? For sure, yeah. I mean, my generation, <laughs> it used to be sit on somebody's lap, and yeah, I know, you know, I know. The rest of it. but again, as you said, it was a different time, yeah. and it was well, my idea, kind of. Or what it's worth would be to encourage them, you know. And yeah. I, I certainly, oh, I've got to go kiss your granddad. That's fine. But, you know, I mean, they, they do it. And they do it, as I said earlier, spontaneously at times. And that's love. That's yeah. even nicer. It, it, it is, of course. It, it is, comes of course. from themselves, you know. Tom, lovely to talk to you today. Look after yourself. and give my, my best to your family and to your lovely granddaughter as well. Thank you. We'll take uh, a break. Back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, tourism from Ireland's largest markets is down substantially on pre-pandemic levels as the industry learned last night that the VAT rate will remain at 9% until the end of August. Now, you might remember the uh, the rate was cut uh, to 9% in an effort to support hotels, restaurants and other hospitality business hit uh, during COVID. And it comes as Fulcher Ireland published worrying figures that show substantial decreases in visitors. Well, Owen Curry is uh, the lead commentator on travel for media in Ireland and Owen joins me now. Good morning to you, Owen. Uh, good morning, Fran. And thanks for your time this morning. We really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Were, were you as surprised as I was to hear about this? Because I, I thought, if anything, that we'd be looking at more tourism. Yeah, it's recovering. It's not back to where it was. And that matches the aviation figures, Fran. We had about 83, 84% of the level of flights to and from the Ireland. Despite what falls to Ireland and tourism Ireland might think, it's not marketing and wonderful campaigns that brings tourists to Ireland. It's access. And if the access is there, particularly from the low-cost airlines, the numbers will come. If the access isn't, the numbers won't. So what we've looked at, uh, those figures, compared with 2019, uh, Britain is down 21%, North America down 20% last year, mainland Europe 8%. Mainland Europe, probably uh, the aviation levels are back to where they were. 
But um, certainly Britain, it's collapsing. It's partly a Brexit issue. The number of flights that are available to um, Heathrow, for instance, would have had more than 20 flights, around 20 flights a day from Dublin. That's down to 13. Um, The regional airports also, where we had three, four, five flights to the likes of Birmingham, they're losing one, two a day. So the level of access to Britain is down. So hence the figures are down. North America a little bit different mm. because we lost the early months of last year because America was uh, reluctant, a little bit slower to open up the Irish and the European routes than it was other countries. And um, we should see that back to where it was this year. But Britain mm. certainly remains a problem. What about our costs, Owen? Because we hear about this all the time. Are, are we becoming more expensive here? And is this part of the discussion as well? Yes and yes. Uh, is it big for Irish people? Yes. Is it something we should be absolutely vigilant on? Major, major debate within Ireland. Internationally, I don't find the same concern. The reason is that everybody's costs are going up. And there's a big thing going in our favour that we sometimes discount because we live here, is that getting to and from a country uh, tends to be expensive in Ireland. It tends to be cheap. The reason is Ryanair. More than 70% of the flights to and from the Ireland are on one of the lowest cost, lowest average fare airlines. Their average fare is around €40. Euro. Uh, people paying for their priority boarding and everything are still getting fares at about €25, €30 Euro mm. cheaper than the average. So getting to and from Ireland is regarded as good value. Eating out in Ireland is a, uh, compared with Southern Europe. You know, There's no doubt you'll get uh, a, your meal with your wine mm. in Spain, Portugal, places places like that. Less so in Northern Europe, um, less so, you know, compared with Scandinavia and places like that. What we do have to watch, though, Fran, is where the likes of Scotland are going, because they're a very big competitor, very similar product, all the the mist and the mountains and Mm. the golf and things like that, the fishing. Uh, We have to watch where the prices are there. Yeah, it's interesting. And what what the hotel industry are are telling us, with your international experience, is it valid them saying that 9% would have them on par? with the rest of Europe, whereas 13.5 is is, is, is overdoing it. The, yes, the 13.5 is the high end for VAT. There are other issues that tend to come into the taxation mix. There are other countries who will have room taxes, things like that. So uh, it's certainly a, a uh, ebb and flow of debate uh, between the hospitality sector and the officials from uh, the Department of Finance more so than the Department of Tourism. But what we what they're saying is that uh, 9% could actually close restaurants. That is a problem. It's already a problem. Uh, some of them didn't reopen mm. after uh, the pandemic. And we do have a huge problem with our prime product, the Wild Atlantic Way, that's uh, wonderful if you arrive in July and August, but it's very hard to find places open in February and March. So you know, we need restaurants open. We need a viable uh, service sector for tourists when they come. And we also need those hotel prices to be watched. Big issue, uh, 26% of our rooms are out in government mm. contracts. And that tends to take out the cheaper end of the market as well, uh, pushing the available rooms up to the, the very high end, the very expensive five-star product, all very well for millionaires. But you need somewhere for the less uh, less wealthy to stay as well. For sure. And just finally, Owen, um, this year, 2023, and uh, the summer coming, what what are we looking at, do you think? Will we see any, any improvement in this? In terms of beds? In, in terms of beds, in terms yeah. of, yeah. 
nothing nothing instant. It's going to be a, a big challenge for the hotel sector. And I'd be very interested. They're having their conference in two weeks' time in Killarney. Be very interested in getting good soundings from all the representatives in the industry there. Visitor attractions, you know, they're struggling a little bit. What we need to know really at this stage is if the uh, level of tourism, inbound tourism, particularly for North America, you remember we've got uh, 16 routes from Aer Lingus and three each from four uh, American and Canadian airlines. If the tourists are arriving, uh, are we going to be able to send them home with a very happy experience? And that includes their accommodation. Uh, big issues for us facing the summer. I would expect it to even itself out with Airbnb and um, mm. the rental sector. But that's under pressure from a whole lot of other areas in the, as well, including our own housing market and the uh, huge debate about should we be allocating uh, beds for tourism when we're short of beds for our own people and for our uh, in, in those uh, wonderful people from Ukraine and places that have had to come That's to Ireland. And it's a very big discussion indeed. Owen, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much Always for coming on. Pleasure, thank, thank you. Thanks, Owen. Thank you. Bye-bye to you. Owen Corrie there. Uh, Owen is editor of uh, Air and Travel, by the way, as well as being one of our top uh, media uh, people where uh, travel is uh, concerned. Uh, don't forget, at any time, uh, you can email the show, and that's tiptoday at tipfm.com if you want to comment on anything that we've been discussing uh, during the week, or indeed if you want to advise us on topics you think we should cover. We'd always be glad to hear from you. And that's it for me. Emma produced, Ali looked after our content. Stephen is on the way, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.